Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Truly. The tales and songs fall utterly short of your enormity. Oh, Smaug, the stupendous. We are the dwarves of Erebor. We have come to reclaim our homeland. I offer you my help. How do we know he won't betray us? We don't. There is no king under the mountain, nor will there ever be. It will not end here. With every victory, this evil will grow. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Roy and I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And what appears to be a whole host of new listeners. Oh, bless them. Welcome, welcome one and all. <laughs> Poor bastards. Mostly due to somehow us being being featured in iTunes, which was a, a big surprise to us when it, when it yeah. happened, but... Uh, a welcome surprise so all of you new to listening uh we encourage you to tell a friend get some more listeners uh also interact with us we're on twitter we've got email addresses that we'll read out at the end of the podcast um so we you know really want you to give us feedback tell us what you think's good what you think's bad you won't find anything bad um. <laughs> weirdly they all seem to start um we seem to get a huge load of downloads for our disaster show where nothing went right and we were an utter fucking shambles um so yeah but but kind of most of them have downloaded the next one after that so clearly liked something there maybe it's our our unique take on the world i don't know but we've also take on the world being very shambolic you mean yes yeah. yes uh, uh, omni shambles um all these listeners since jerry left the podcast yeah so, yeah um go go back and listen to some classic failed critics with uh the strange northerner um <laughs> they were some good times and the strange northerner who sometimes talks in a spanish accent yeah um hopefully jerry's going to be back for our um best of the year show next week which would be it'd be nice to hear jerry's dulcet tones again so if, and if you all of you listeners new and old go to www.feldcritics.com you can vote in our end of year awards um all the votes will count to picking our best film best actors and actresses etc of the last 12 months so go over there and vote um and the winners of various categories will be announced next week. But this week yes. we have got um, what we usually have. We've got the quiz, we've got the news, we've got what we've been watching, and we've got a new release review of The Hobbit, A Desolation of Smaug. Uh, but we'll start off with the quiz where it's currently one all. No, very exciting. Uh, this this It's one of those, I think it's one of those, oh, the next goal will be crucial type quizzes. So, uh Let's have a look and see. And I'm going to go back to 90, no, yeah, 1990 and start with 
Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Owen's desperately scratching his head. Yeah. I've <laughs> sort of seen it. I haven't seen it. Um, but carry on. Same, okay, same year. Young Guns 2. Okay, moving on to 1993. Carlito's Way. That's a jump in quality. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> Uh, moving on to 1995, Crimson Tide. These are these are tough. tough yeah, to it's hard. Um, 1997, GI Jane. So okay. we, are we looking at an actual female actress this time? Not an actor. Uh, no, this this is an actor. There you go. Oh, I've helped okay. you now. This is an actor. Um, 1998, the utterly pointless Gus Van Sant remake of Psycho. Okay, this is where the link comes in. Uh, this is where it gets a little bit easier, possibly. In 2001, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Steve. Uh, oh, no. Steve was in first. Yeah, but I was thinking of actresses still. <laughs> um, let's take a stab in the dark. It's not going to be Viggo Mortensen. It's not going to. Yes, it oh, is. You, that's who I was going to. Oh. <laughs> oh, Steve on dodgy ground with that yeah. point, but <laughs> he gets the slightly offside tapping. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing dubious about it. I called that. <laughs> I was thinking I was still thinking of actresses. I was gonna guess Liv Tyler and then I oh. I've got a, I've been forcing the guessing a male here, which like <laughs> would it's not any of the hobbits. So it's not a oh. room because he's British, so it won't be him. They all count, don't they, Steve? <laughs> Doesn't matter how Steve takes two one lead. Yeah. There we are. Uh, there's the quiz. I'm in a 2-1 lead over Owen in this round. Um, so on to the news. Yeah, um, it's been a quite a tragic, well, not tra- oh, tragic. Two, two uh, actors died and they were very old and it wasn't a huge surprise. But it's really sad um, when anyone who has uh, given so much to a particular art form dies. Um, the first one was on Sunday. We heard that Peter O'Toole the classic, I think you have to tr- use the trademark term Hellraiser, don't you? The last of the Hellraisers seems to be um, what most of the mainstream media are going for. And yeah, he did self-mythologise a lot himself, uh, obviously because he was self-mythologising. Anyway, um, he was an incredible actor as well as an incredible drunk uh, and a bon viveur, uh, obviously Lawrence of Olivia, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, not of Olivia. God, yeah. there we go. See, they're switching off in droves. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia, his kind of defining moment. Although I didn't realize, I found out today, eight Oscar nominations and never won a single one. That feels, mm. that feels more than harsh. Uh, I think. Do you know what? I, I think that that pretty much qualifies him for our corridor of praise instantly, he, doesn't he, it? Never, he never won an Oscar. Did get an Academy Honorary Award. Yeah, they, that's taking the piss. I, I, liked, <laughs> I liked his response to it, though. What was he? What was it, Steve? He, he wrote the Academy a letter saying that he was still in the game and he'd like more time to win the lovely bugger outright. <laughs> oh, nice. Bless him. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. So, free. 
Peter, my first experience of Peter O'Toole was in Supergirl um, a long, long time ago. Uh, not one of his fine movies, I'll be <laughs> honest. Uh, and, and most recently, uh, my, one of my most treasured um one of my most treasured roles of his, actually. Something that I've been able to share with my daughter, who is a big fan of the Pixar film Ratatouille. Um, and, of course, he plays the, the vicious food critic in that, in a in a beautiful mm. kind of way. Um, so that, that's a role I've been able to share with my daughter about that. I don't know about you guys, if you've seen him in much. Not not in much, in, in one or two things. Yeah, he's got, like Owen said beforehand, he's got one of those faces that you know, and you know who it is, and it does, it kind of makes me feel a little bit embarrassed that I haven't seen more of his work. Yeah, I mean, Lovence of Arabia is, or Lovence of Olivier, is, uh, <laughs> is yeah. intent on calling it. He, I mean, it is just uh, one of those films that you think, okay, well, this is an actor who is putting in the defining performance of his oh. career. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised to learn he didn't actually win an um, uh, any sort of academy awards for that but yeah you know, it's just one of um, those things isn't it i know so yeah very sadly missed um there is a fantastic uh one of the great clips i saw of him uh on youtube uh when everyone was sharing like stories of him uh was him and richard harris at the heineken cup final in 2000 which i attended i didn't realize that but they were obviously in the posh bit um and uh monster in the final and richard harris is showing off They've both had a bit to drink, showing off his his monster jersey. <laughs> Peter O'Toole just rugby tackles him to the ground. <laughs> two old blokes getting pissed up and rugby tackling each other in the hospitality section. I, I, I just yeah, they they live life mm. to the fullest, and that that's also to be commended. Um, and then kind of following on the heels from that, very sadly, the death of Joan Fontaine, who um most famously played. Uh, Mrs. De Winters, who I think I think I mentioned in a triple bill very recently about characters um, without a, a name or a first name, that triple bill we did. She is Mrs. De Winters in uh, Hitchcock's Rebecca, and she also was in Hitchcock's Suspicion the year after with uh, Cary Grant, another classic of the, the old Hollywood era. And again, another one that I'm now thinking I need to go and see a little bit more of her, having read a lot about her, but Rebecca is just one of my favourite Hitchcock films, and it's a fantastic performance from her. So, very sad. I think she was 96. So, again, fair play. Yeah, good innings. Uh, uh, but yeah, a, a, another sad loss to Hollywood. Yeah, um, didn't we have some other award nominations? We did. Um, the Golden Globes, which is the kind of. It's the slightly stupid awards ceremony <laughs> where where they do tend to sometimes nominate things just to make sure that certain people turn up um for example i think well, certainly um, with the films i think it's more credible the for the tv it's more credible yeah. with the tv and, and most of the film it's just there's always one or two films that sneak into the nominations and you think really um Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie's The Tourist, um, one of the most famous recent examples mm. in the last few years where they just went, well, we need to get Johnny Depp here. What films has he been in? Let's nominate one of them. It's a, it's a little bit of a weird one, but I, th- I think it's a good batch of uh, nominees this year. And unlike last year, there's no huge front, ri- you know, no 
kind of overwhelming front runners. Um, so best motion picture drama, you've got 12 Years a Slave, Captain Phillips, Gravity, Philomena, really pleased to see Philomena get a spot on there, and Rush. I get, oh, that's five. Well, that's three good films that I've seen. I've heard decent things about Captain Phillips, but you weren't over enamoured with it, were you, Owen? Captain Phillips? I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, it was a good film. It was a good little thriller, it? but it's not one of the five best of the year no. for me. No, do you think that's to get Tom Hanks there? Um, yeah, it could be. Um, Doesn't really feel that, like the kind of film that's Oscar like award worthy. No, it's, it's no, good. It's, it's enjoyable. There's good performances in it, but it's not really. Okay. One, but I am um, glad to see Philomena there. I think that's. Um, yeah, I'm really pleased to see Philomena in there, and uh, it's interesting that's gone straight into best motion picture drama because obviously the Golden Globes is one that splits drama mm. and comedy or musical, and there was a, you know, it could have fitted into the. Co- it, it's a very funny film, but. Uh, Good to see that get a nod. Best actor in a motion picture. We've got uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor Egi- uh, for 12 Years a Slave. Not out until the, is it the 6th or the 13th of January over here? So not long to go until we see that. Um, Idris Elba, Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom, Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips, Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club, which I'm very excited about seeing, and Robert Redford for All is Lost, which appears to be Robert Redford in a boat. Um, against the storm that uh, that's still not out in the uk either um so that's interesting um again that's also drama uh, best actress in a motion picture kate blanchett for blue jasmine sandra bullock for gravity judy dench for philomena uh emma thompson for saving mr banks i'm really really happy about those kate winslet for labor day as well best director you're looking at alfonso curon for gravity paul Greengrass for captain phillips steve mcqueen 12 years slave Alexander Payne for Nebraska and David O. Russell for American Hustle. Um, and yeah. in fact, the, this list I've got doesn't appear to have the best comedy or musicals. I've got the... Right. That's really annoying. Has anyone else got it there? Because I've got the Telegraph and they've let me down <laughs> in a major way. The film nominations. I mean, yeah, film nominations, comedy picture. or musical. Yeah, best motion picture from comedy or musical. Yeah, well, this confuses me a little bit because American Hustle, Her, yep. Inside Llewellyn Davis... Nebraska and The Wolf of Wall Street. See, now yeah, I would that's... have put The Wolf of Wall Street as drama and Philomena as a comedy. Yeah. I know well, it's not strictly a comedy itself. Yeah. Compare it to the two. I know it's going to be. Because Wolf of Wall Street is a full three hours long. Mm. Um, I'm hearing good things about it. I'm hearing it's Scorsese's it best film. Amazing. Good films. Trailer. Uh, the trailer looks fantastic. Mm. Um, uh, and the fact that it's in there makes me think actually it might. It might be a fun three hours rather than kind of like sitting there thinking this has gone on a bit long. So I'm kind of excited that it's in there. It seems weird that it's in there, but we've not seen it. And maybe it's a lot funnier than than we thought it would be. Yeah, possibly. Um, but, you know, who knows? Di- DiCaprio's got a nod towards best actor as well. for. Yeah, so he got that. Um, Christian Bell for American Hustle as well. Bruce Dern for Nebraska, which I really want to see before the end of this year because I still not a huge fan of alexander payne but a lot of people say it's fantastic um hiking phoenix for her which isn't out here until next year uh the new spike uh jonesy film and um yeah inside llewellyn davis the new coen brothers film isn't it that one yeah. so oscar yeah. isaac nominated there um best actress uh, some good uh, amy adams uh julie delphi for before midnight um Greta Gerwig for Francis Hart, Julia Louis-Dreyfus for Enough Said, which I'm really, really pleased about just because she's fantastic, <laughs> um, and Meryl Streep as well. So it, there, there's some decent ones. Um, best foreign language film uh, has got Blue is the Warmest Colour, The Hunt, and The Wind Rises, the new 
um, Studio, Studio Ghibli, Ghibli yeah. Well, that's not which out also here, isn't yeah. out here until it's not even out in America until yeah. May officially. Um, but it did get shown, I think, Toronto. Um, so that's how it's in there. Well, it's and then there's like Zach's last film, isn't it? So I mean, it's going to have a lot yeah. of buzz about that. Uh, load of tv ones in there as well which we won't go into too much just nice to see um jason bateman for arrested development get a nod just that's all i'm gonna say there um so yeah it'll be an interesting one um and the other thing is as well behind the candelabra didn't get any of the film uh nominations simply because it wasn't released in cinemas over there but michael douglas and rob lowe have both got nods for best actor and best supporting actor and good luck to both of those yeah i mean behind the candelabra did get a nomination for best miniseries slash motion picture for tv yes yes tv clearly made sure it's not actually you know in the other categories which seems bizarre because i mean i know in america it was made by hbo and everything but it's it wasn't shown on tv here in the uk it was a uh, no. Mo- the Golden Globes eligibility criteria means it's got to have been shown in a cinema in New York or LA, I think. Is that it hasn't, uh, Yeah, it's a bit like the Oscar ones as well. They need to have been shown in a cinema in New York or LA and have had a review carried by one of the New York Times. Yeah, it's, mm. it's really kind of like old school weird rules and stuff like that but yeah so um golden globes we look forward to those um and they've given us a bit of a clue as to what might end up in the oscars yeah and that's all for part one uh, up next we've what we've been watching so what we've been watching the bit of the film where we review films that aren't necessarily included in our new release section um could be from any time anywhere but we have seen them this week uh, so, Owen, why don't you start us off? Yeah, OK, I'll start. Uh, well, before I actually go into the film that I'm going to review, um, because we're talking about The Hobbit later, whilst I was in the cinema waiting to watch it and they show all the trailers and adverts and stuff, they showed a new sort of preview, if you like, an extended preview of Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which I've talked about on here before and said, I'm putting my sort of hat down and saying I think that's going to be the best of the Marvel Phase 2 movies. I know Guardians of the Galaxy is getting a lot of praise at the minute, but I just think this, the story for that and what it's trying to do, turning it into a sort of a, a sort of spy thriller reaction type film, I just think it's going to be just brilliant. So the trailer for that... I assume really you're good. not including Avengers 2 in that, or are you? Yeah, maybe. I mean, Avengers Whoa. 2, I think, because it might, it might fall a little bit midway in the whole series if you like mm. you know that's always a problem which perhaps we'll talk about later with the hobbit <laughs> but they, yeah winter soldier just looks looks really good looks really slick and uh, yeah very excited for that but yeah anyway the film i'm going to talk about is uh the host not the one that came out this year but the 2006 south korean film um i talked about old boy on the last podcast and i ended up watching uh, Park Chan-wook's old boy sort of the next day um, or re-watching it and then after that I watched The Chaser which is another sort of good revenge thriller from, from South Korea but I wanted to watch something a little bit different and I ended up picking up uh, the DVD of The Host for a quid which is a bargain uh, it was recommended by at uh, Munchkin365 on Twitter earlier this year when I was asking people for creature features for just some sort of recommendations uh, I was already kind of aware of it but I didn't really recognize the the reputation it had until sort of he told me about it uh, because it was the highest grossing film in Korea when it came out it was like a massive film in 2006 
Um, it's kind of comparable, I guess, to Cloverfield, if you like. It's not a found footage film at all, but it's just about... Um, well, it's set on in, in Seoul, on the Han River, and there's this monster that's that's come out of the river, and it's snatched this young girl who's the daughter of this guy who's a bit of a narcoleptic... Um, <laughs> He's a bit of a loser, he, you know, works in his dad's shop, keeps stealing things from the shop and his customers and, you know, doesn't really have any prospects. He's one of those sort of characters, but it's his daughter who gets stolen by this monster that's terrorising um, all the people alongside the river. Uh, but the guy himself, he gets quarantined by the government because he's been in contact with the monster and they think that, you know, it's, it's spreading a virus. Um, and eventually it's the, this guy, his sister, his brother and his dad who try to save his daughter from the monster because they they believe she's still alive and it's it's really well acted there's a few familiar faces so the, the main guy who plays the father is kang ho song who i don't know whether you saw it james because i know you like um park chan wook as well but it's mm. he's, he's the vampiric priest from thirst oh from thirst no i've got yeah. that kind of queued up to watch at some point yeah that's a really that's just a fantastic film um but he's, he's also in, you know, lots of other things like uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, for example. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also stars Duna Bay, who was also in Sympathy okay. for Mr. Vengeance, but is probably more well known for Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas, yeah, yeah. which he was just brilliant in. I thought she yeah. was really fantastic in that. Um, but yeah, the film itself, it's got a lot of humour, perhaps more than I expected. So I, as I said, I, I suppose it is comparable in a way to Cloverfield and that it's a monster running amok in a huge city. Um, although it's much more scaled down in this. Um, but it wasn't quite as serious as that. There's a, the, the tone, it takes a little while to adjust to. I think um, Matt Munchkin365 sort of said that as well. It, you have to carefully <laughs> set, the, set how you're going to, set your expectation levels for it because mm-hmm. it's it's not as serious as that. There are serious or more dramatic moments in it. Um, but there's a lot of humour in there as well. The character's... There's a lot of fun to be found, if you like. They don't take it too seriously, considering it's this mutant fish thing that's just running around snatching people. So, yeah. I mean, it's much better than Cloverfield as well. I, I, like I say, it was rather, it was rather unexpected um, in that sense. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I suppose the other thing that's worth mentioning about the host is the CGI. Uh, whilst watching it a few times, I didn't think the CGI looked that great. I thought mm, it looks a little bit sci-fi movie-ish, um, but you know, as my wife pointed out whilst we were watching it, it was made in 2006. So for for a 2006 sci-fi blockbuster made in Korea on perhaps a fraction of the budget that something like Cloverfield is, it looked actually pretty good. I particularly like the little things about the, the monster. So the way it moves is great. The way it sort of swings underneath this bridge, it just look that that looks pretty impressive actually. So. And the monster himself, the creature design is pretty. Uh, you w- it's different to something you would probably get in a Western film, I think. It just looks a bit more influenced by that Asian style, and particularly set around um, the Han River, and it's all that like fish monster, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon type thing. So that was quite nice as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was really good. It was it was it was a lot different to sort of other Korean films I've seen recently, particularly because I watch a lot of the like revenge thrillers that tend to be quite violent and quite dark and twisted. And this was just a bit more light, a bit more um, like a sci-fi movie than a horror movie. So yeah, it was really good. Um, 
there's a lot of satellite to it as well. I'm still kind of digesting it because I've only seen it earlier today, so I can't really give a full-on description of what exactly it was satirising, but there's lots of stuff about the government and about the way people are treated and stuff like that. So there's there's that element to it as well if you want something a bit deeper to your regular creature features. But um, yeah, no, it was really good. I definitely, definitely recommend it. Okay. Uh, for my film this week, been getting into festive spirit, with it being Christmas just about a week away. Uh, watched a Christmas film I've not seen before. I actually thought it was newer than 2011. Uh, it is Arthur Christmas, made by uh, Ardman Animations, who are um, they're responsible for Wallace and Gromit, um, among other things. Although this isn't claymation, it's animated. Um, it stars James McAvoy as Arthur Christmas. He's Santa Claus's son. Uh, Santa Claus voiced by Jim Broadbent. Uh, Hugh Laurie plays Santa Claus's dad. Uh, sorry, Hugh Laurie plays Arthur's brother and Bill Nye voices uh, Santa Claus's dad. And basically Santa is... <coughs> Christmas has become like a more high-tech military operation um, down to mainly Steve, who is Arthur's brother. Um, and one Christmas, everything gets delivered in Santa's new, what is based sleigh, which is basically a spaceship. Um, but they find out that somehow they have left one present behind. One child will wake up on Christmas without a present, which is basically unthinkable. <laughs> yes. You can't have that happen. Except in, in Steve's mind, because he sees with, you know, there being two billion children on the planet, one being a, a, a acceptable margin of error. Uh, but Arthur doesn't agree with this. Uh, Santa, he's just done his 70th mission. He's meant to retire and Steve's meant to take over as oldest son, but he's going to, he's going to carry on if Santa, which annoys Steve. Arthur wants this one present delivered. Um, no one seems to be listening to him except his granddad, Santa's dad, who helps him deliver the present with the aid of his original, the descendant of his original eight reindeer. So, um, and eventually they get to the child's house, but then Santa turns up, so does Steve. They all want the glory of giving the present to the child. They all want to be seen as the best. They've all got their own motives, except Arthur, who actually only wants to give the present because... He wants the child to have the present. Everyone else wants to do it for their own. And that's purpose. the true spirit that, of Christmas. That's exactly it. It is really good. Okay. A lot of kids' films that come out, especially Christmas ones now, tend to be a bit, you know, a bit cliched and a bit rubbish and a bit boring and the plot's not up the much and it's just got a pile of books. But this one is, is really good. It's funny. The voice acting's really good. Um, you'd never guess it was James McAvoy. Everyone else, you can guess it's them, but mm. we wouldn't, you wouldn't really guess it's James McAvoy. Um, you've got, you know, some, some nice little, like the, at the end, I, you know, I said that Santa's now flying around in a spaceship to deliver the presents, um, which is the ba- it's a mile wild, mile wild, wide spaceship at the end. It's being, it ends up being pulled by the eight reindeer plus a thousand others. Oh. It's just it's just a really good Christmas story with a good message, good performances. 
it's on Sky Movies Christmas quite a lot at the moment. It's probably available in other places. But... Is is it very British? Does it feel no, does it have a kind of British sensibility, no, a British sense of humour? It doesn't really feel that British, to be honest. I mean, okay. The 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 girl who doesn't get the toy but does in the end is from Britain, but then they go all off around the world and yeah. you know there's a a you because they think that this Santa's sleigh is a is a UFO. It tries to get shot down by US predator. It does get shot down by a US predator drone. And you know, you, uh, who is it? Um, I can't remember her name, but there's you know a couple of American people that are playing basically people in what is meant to be the UN, which are you know Americans, yeah, um, shooting down some reindeer because they think it's a UFO. Um, but if, nice. if you've got kids, is it a savage attack on American foreign policy? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it to be, but it's really not. <laughs> it's just them shooting some reindeer out of the sky. Oh, okay, okay. So nothing about Obama's drone policy. Well, it's probably probably there, something so. to do with the NRA, I imagine, and drone <laughs> policy. Yeah. What what this what this children's Christmas film is is really a thinly veiled parody of American politics. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, can, I can imagine that. <laughs> I'll go, I'll give that a go. It's then, not, Steve, it's not really, but you know. If, if you have kids or if you like Christmas, you should really give this one a watch because it is it is good fun with a good message and a good story. Excellent. Uh, so, James, what's your film for the week? Well, that brings me on very, very, very quickly. Last week I did review the new release, the Disney film Frozen, and I just want to say I took my three-year-old daughter to the cinema to watch it at the weekend. It's the first time she stayed in a cinema for the entire running length of a film without wanting to go. Because I took her to see My Neighbour Totoro, because uh, I'm such a hipster. <laughs> uh, it was determined that my daughter's... For... We didn't. We did actually go and see the dubbed one, though, so I'm not that hip. I didn't take her to see a subtitled version of it. But, um, yeah, she kind of had to leave halfway through that because she was shouting and just wanting to enjoy the film, but other people were there who didn't want that, and fair enough, so we left. But um, I just want to say, I went to my local Odeon, and they were running an autism-friendly screening, um but it's the kind of screening that anyone who's got kids who want to actually be kids but also want the joy of going to the cinema it's a fantastic opportunity most local audience will run one of these it just depends which films are out at the time but i went to see this um the great thing about it is uh lights are up slightly volumes down slightly and there's no expectation of everyone sitting there in silence watching the film. You can move around. You can make a bit of noise if you want. You know, everyone who goes in buys into that. Um, also, no trailers, um, no adverts, no Kevin Bacon talking about no-brainers, which I'm sorry is not an English term. It's an American term. That whole <laughs> thing is nonsense. Um, but And she, she sat there completely enraptured by it, which was just really nice to see. There's a really nice kind of Mickey Mouse old school Mickey Mouse meets new school Mickey Mouse um, bit beforehand, which she really enjoyed as well. So anyone who's got young kids, fantastic film to go and see. And if you can find any of these autism friendly screenings, uh, uh, it was just a really, really lovely experience. And I'll be honest, I've not had many of those in my local Odeon recently. And it's kind of restored my faith a little bit in that cinema chain. Um, but the main film I do want to talk about, which I went to see uh, in a preview, it seems to have been previewing for about a month. It's still not out until Boxing Day, but um, Owen went to see it a couple of weeks ago. And Owen's words were, James, I think you'd actually like this even more than I did. 
Um, it's an indie film with a big budget, and you hit the nail on the head, Owen. To you be know. honest, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I've seen, and the thing is, I've seen a lot of films which are difficult watches in the last week or so, which make me question like some really dark areas of humanity the act of killing uh being one that i spoke about on here recently i rewatched cloud atlas again recently as well you know it's it's a brilliant film but it's not exactly a sit back and eat your popcorn and kind of switch your mind off type film um and so it was quite nice actually to just watch a really nice film um it, it it's it's a pg uh, there's no extreme violence there's no extreme language but it's a it's a nice film what really really impressed me about it though you know it's a, a remake of a 1970s film based on a short story it's about a guy who you know, has this really loser well not loser but a very anonymous life he doesn't really go out he doesn't travel he doesn't do anything in his life daydreams a lot and then he's kind of he gets a call to action um uh when the magazine that he works on is closing and the last negative from this intrepid explorer photographer goes missing. And so Walter Mitty decides to track down that negative to turn it into the cover of the magazine. Um, so it's this unassuming guy who doesn't even have a passport. Off he goes on this huge adventure. Um, and it, it it kind of plays out, if you've seen the trailer, it plays out pretty much how you would imagine having seen the trailer. One thing that really impressed me, though, was, uh, yeah, it's a... It's directed and starring, uh, directed by and starring Ben Stiller. And I did expect it to be a little bit of a, a Ben Stiller-a-thon. Uh, and he is on screen a lot. But one thing that really impressed me was how visually interesting the film is. Um, I wasn't... I, it was the kind of film that I went in thinking, I wish this had been directed by someone like Michel Gondry. Or so. Before it started, I was like, wouldn't this be really interesting if it was this real kind of visual artists like michelle gondry who did uh eternal sunshine of spotless mind so you know someone who could really make this like fantastically interesting do you know what ben stiller did i, I really underestimated how much visual flair there would be in the film and it isn't just a series of cgi set pieces there are quite a few cgi set pieces but it's directed with an interesting eye and that that surprised me um which is probably bad because I, I i like ben stiller's films i i the, I think we've had this conversation before, haven't we? Um, mm. Cable Guy, uh, Zoolander, but his films previously were kind of like character-driven comedy films, uh, and this is very, this is a very, very different type of film. I wasn't sure if he could handle it, but I, I think he did. His performance was interesting in it. He was still pretty much Ben Stiller. In it. He's got that kind of face and that delivery, um, but it it suited the character. Um, what I will also say as well: great soundtrack and one bit. Um, where Kristen Wiig, who I like quite a lot, um, basically sang a David Bowie song. That was porn to me. <laughs> that, that was that was the hottest thing I've seen. But Kristen Wiig dressed up in winter gear with a guitar slung on, singing uh, Space Oddity. That was my porn for the year. I could watch that over and over again. Um, uh, but there's other great music in it as well. Uh, it is a little bit kind of popcorn psychology a little bit of um fortune cookie wisdom and things like that it's it's not as deep as maybe it wants to be it's not as deep as maybe i wanted it to be and it is it's a very polished film it's quite predictable you kind of know where it's going 
Um, and there aren't that many surprises in it. Even so, uh, it put a smile on my face, made me kind of well up a little bit towards the end. And it was just a generally a nice film that came in at under two hours. Um, didn't outstay its welcome. Didn't feel too baggy either. Um, I, I genuinely did enjoy it. And I, it, it's at the moment, it's just snuck into my top 20 of the year. So um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. So I saw that. It's out on Boxing Day. It's still not out yet. I don't know how many people are going to be left that haven't seen it who want to go and see it like already at a preview because it's it's been a, it's been previewing in every cinema chain i've missed four opportunities to preview it. i've managed to grab my fifth one really so, um, i mean cineworld previewed it twice i mean we had yeah. a preview is the secret screening and then the week after there was another preview so exactly yeah. it was the sky movie screening tonight although i got it through show film first i didn't even get sky movies it's it's being screened a lot mm. uh, which i'm hope i'm assuming um they're hoping will lead to good word of mouth and yeah it, it's a good kind of it's a good family film it's it's what we call in our house grand friendly you know we, we could take grand to see this she'll have a good time or oh, a lovely film um so it's marketed yeah. a bit oddly though i don't know if you've seen the advert and they compare it to forest gump yeah that's what's weird, that about it's nothing like forest gump. You know, the film it actually reminded me most of um on a kind of very surface level was uh stranger than fiction um we with will ferrell who was at one point rumored to be playing the main role because this film's been in development since the early 90s mm. as well this is one of those that really could have been an absolute disaster by the time it made it to the screen simply because it had been rewritten and rebooted and you know started from scratch and everything like that and even until the last year or so gore verbinski was down to direct it and he jumped ship and went to uh the lone ranger so ben stiller stepped in and directed it as well um so it really could have been a bad film uh, and it's not it's a decent film Excellent. Um, so that one is, is that currently out in cinema? It's out on Boxing Day. Out on Boxing Day on General Lucas Cinema. Okay, that's all for what we've been watching. So we'll have another quick break and then it'll be our review of The Hobbit 2. Two in the title. <laughs> Back in The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, that was a good that one. That was a good one. <laughs> the Desolation of Smaug. So this week's big new release, the only new release we're reviewing this week, is the second film in the Hobbit series, uh, The Desolation of Smaug. Picking up where the first film left off, uh, the company of orcs and Bilbo have just been rescued by the eagles and flown to safety um, and view the lonely mountain in the distance. And Smaug's waking up, even though in this film they find that he's still asleep. Uh, don't ask just worth, not worth going into really is it um, <laughs> it's, and it stars Martin Freeman as Bilbo uh, Ian McKellen as Gandalf and some other people as the dwarfs um, what did we make of this second part in the trilogy well should we just play a clip first Steve go on then you have nothing to fear tell us what you know and I will set you free you had orders to kill them why what is Thorin Oakenshield to you? The dwarf runt. Never be king. King? There is no king under the mountain, nor will there ever be. None would dare enter Erebor. 
Whilst the dragon lives... You know nothing. Your world will burn. What are you talking about? Speak! Our time has come again. My master serves the one. Do you understand now, Elfling? Death is upon you. The flames of war are upon you. There we go. That was a clip of The Hobbit, this version of Smile. Yes, what do we think of the second part in this trilogy? Oh, first up, I just want to say, I was kind of dreading the first film. I mentioned this at the time when we reviewed it last year. I, I'm a fan of the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, but I'd kind of already spent nine hours in Middle Earth and spending the same time again for a book about a fifth of its size felt like it was going to be bloated and horrible. And the first film pleasantly surprised me. It was it was nice to be back. So I went into this with raised expectations and my initial impression is it just about met them yeah i'm going to agree with that i think the the first film was for me was just enough to surprise at how much i enjoyed i think in the end i'll put it into my top 10 of last year i think you did yeah Yeah, because i you know I've, i've seen the lord of the rings films i thought they were all right but you know i'm not a huge fan of them anyway but then the oh. Hobbit, I just thought had more a, a, a sort of funnier or more entertaining aspect to it, something that's sort of a bit more charm. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, yeah a bit cheeky and you know, and I thought that was a bit better than sort of. So yeah, I mean, the, the Desolation of Smaug, I was quite excited for it actually. I thought it would mm. be quite good, and yeah, I'm I'm pleased it was. It was quite good. I I liked the first one, although you could. The first one felt longer, but I enjoyed it more. Um, but it, you definitely knew you'd been in the cinema for about three hours when you'd watched it. Cool, yeah. Um, <laughs> this one didn't feel as long, but I didn't enjoy it as much. It just didn't seem, I don't know, it didn't seem quite as, uh, even even though it was quite fast paced, I don't know. It, mm. Didn't, mm. it didn't really, it was, all, it was all quite predictable. It was all quite, you know, by the book. It, well, it is by a book. book. <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah. I've not read the book, but you could kind of see where it, it was going. Yeah. It seemed quite drawn out, and there's a lot of stuff they could have cut out. A lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be six films about walking. They could cut half of it out and put stuff in. But. Yeah, I mean, I think I touched on it earlier when I said that sometimes you get films that are the middle part of a trilogy mm. that just kind of, they, they feel like the middle part. They don't yeah. feel like they've got a a true beginning and i don't feel like they've got a proper no. end and that's i think that's my biggest issue with, i agree with you that's my biggest issue with this film is it feel it it feels like it is being bookended whereas think of the classic second part of trilogy let's say the empire strikes back which is probably like one of the textbook templates for uh you know the second stage of a trilogy that in itself is a complete story you can sit down and just watch The Empire Strikes Back. And you know it's part of a larger narrative arc. Mm. But at the same time, you've got you, within that, you've still got a proper middle, a beginning, and an end. And you know that it leads to another self-contained, but part of a larger arc third film. A more what modern I've, idea would be like The Dark Knight. 
you know. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah, a exactly really right. good film in its own right. And you don't need to have seen Batman Begins and you don't have to no. see Dark Knight Rises. It's just exactly. a good it fits film. into a larger, larger universe. But at the same time, yeah, it, it's got its own beginning, middle and end. Mm. It's got its own three. A lot of this film feels like it is very heavily just second act. Mm. Um, uh, there's a lot of callbacks to the first film and towards the end of this you just and i'll be honest i was quite surprised at how abruptly this film ended and kind of oh, okay is that it oh whereas even thinking back to the two towers um and and, and in fact the, those first original uh, lord of the rings films each of those had a had a particular beginning middle and end in each film as well whereas this really did feel like it was all second act it's, it's, it's uh, strange in so much as the book, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was was one film per book. This is three yeah. films per one book, which is, I think, it wouldn't surprise me anyway, but it certainly looks, it just looking at my bookshelf, mm. even though I've not read The Hobbit yet, it looks, this one book looks smaller than the, each individual book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. Yet, no, what, out, I know they've taken the appendices from Return of the King to tell us, tell the story in these films of the build-up to lord of the rings but yeah which is something else that i'll come on to later but you know it's it's it they're, they're dragging it out i think del toro when he was going to do the film going to do it originally only wanted to do it as two films yeah um um and peter, well so did peter jackson originally then, when when it was announced that it was peter jackson it was still only two films and he, to begin with and, he got and then face everywhere including right at the start of the film and <laughs> Yeah, that yeah that is that is a problem for me. I mean, I think um, it is I, the pacing. Yeah, I'll come back to what I was going to say. I'll come back to later. Okay. Back to it now. I think that it would have worked better if they'd done the Hobbit as two films, just as the Hobbit. You know, nothing. You know, obviously Gandalf's going to keep disappearing to do what he's going to do in you know, the other bits, but yeah. But they'll just do right. We'll go up. We'll find. We'll get into the mountain. We'll we'll wake up smile second film the rest of it the end of the film then we'll do another film which is a prequel to lord of the rings which is sauron coming back which is gandalf finding out sauron's coming back and trying to organize everybody and you know, find, you know all the bits like that oh that's one way you could do it but what i quite like actually in this film that they send gandalf off on that plot mm. line I think I think it adds a bit of variety to it. It, it does. So it isn't it, just a group of people walking to a mountain and having a fight. It does, but it, that that's kind of it's kind of those bits are kind of good because the rest of the film isn't as up to scratch as what it could be. Maybe. I also oh. think you've got quite a good set of characters with the dwarves. You know, in Lord of the mm. Rings, you had you know there were a certain number of characters. But mm. this, they've they've got more to play with. I think with the Hobbits, yeah, they, 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 they use them. They don't. I mean. Than... Well, I was just about to use the example of the... There's a scene in this, which I think has been in the trailers and the adverts and stuff. Mm. I'm not going to go into why it's so good. Yeah. But it's the, the sort of... As they're in the barrels going down the river. Yeah. You know, and it's just yeah. a fantastic set piece for the film. That was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant action set piece. And what I was going to say is I think there is some things that this film does better than the, the previous film. And one of those is it does get on with it immediately. Mm. And it has it has a bet it has more momentum than the first film. Um, and the other thing is as well with the whole Gandalf going off to do some other stuff, 
the first film relied a lot on um right here goes here goes everyone right gandalf wanders off for a bit hobbits get into trouble gandalf comes back and rescues them that that happened three or four times in the first film was like uh, every time gandalf disappears they get into trouble and then he comes back in the nick of time and saves them it's kind of annoying um in this film bilbo is pushed more kind of front and center uh gandalf goes off to do his thing and it actually does because they i i kind of bonded to the dwarves a lot more in this one I, simply because i don't think you can bond with the dwarves because you only really there's only thorin um who's obviously the, the in charge of the king or king there to be or whatever you've got the kind of older one who's see i don't know any of their other names you know but the old the older <laughs> one um who's dopey yeah dopey, easy battle, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I genuinely don't I could, I could see them all written down in front of me i could probably name a couple but i wouldn't be able to tell you which one's which i might not be able to tell you their names but i could i could describe then, at least then, five or six then, very yeah. different characters and there's, there. the, and there's the younger one who gets shot in the leg with an arrow and then killy yeah, yeah that's killy as aiden turner who i think is a really good yeah. actor actually. yeah but the, but you know the rest of them don't really do anything You've got James Nesbitt. Yeah, he wakes uh, up late. He's drunk. Yeah, you've got <laughs> Ken Stott as the old one, who's brilliant, by the way. I love Ken Stott, full stop, and he's brilliant as the old one, almost recognisable, unrecognisable, that big bulbous nose. Um, well, I think you, in this one, you had more character to the dwarves than you had in the yeah. first film, and that first film spent about an hour just introducing them all. Yeah, I, I thought, yeah, I thought they got... Them washing up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And the songs. Actually, I kind of missed a song. I, I, I think this film could have done with one song. Um, the other thing that I did think was better than the first one is Thorin Oakenshield actually looked like a dwarf for a lot of this. Whereas in the first film, he just looked like a man leading a pack of dwarfs. <laughs> whatever you call a group <laughs> of dwarfs. Pack yeah. of dwarfs. A but in the first dwarfs, one, it's like yeah. all these like dwarfs with the weird makeup. You, know, you, you could tell, right, okay, yeah, these are dwarfs. And then, oh, here comes strider light bloody you know aragorn's twin brother um he ne- he did not look like a dwarf in the first film at all he looked like a thin man he looked like a, and he looked like a man don't you know when like people kneel down and put their shoes on their knees yeah and that that yeah and in this he looked a bit fatter and he looked a bit stouter um and he, he just he just looked more like a dwarf in this one and i don't know if they did something or changed something but he looked he looked more like a dwarf, or maybe it's because he spent more time with some elves and some other men and things like that, and it actually showed the difference. In that, but in that first film, he just didn't look like a dwarf to me, but he does in this speaking one. Speaking of and the that way... was actually important for me. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, speaking of the way that the characters look in this, what about Legolas? Did anyone have any issues with the CGI parts of his his I've, scenes? It, well, I thought a lot, it of, the, a a lot of the computer film, game. A lot of this, yeah, it looked like a computer game. Yeah. This yeah, is was... the first time the first time I've seen any film in this high frame rate. I didn't watch the the first film in okay. 48 frames per second. It is noticeable in this mm. when you've mm. got CGI Orlando Bloom leaping through the sky and diving over yeah. barrels and logs and stuff. Yeah. I mean um it it was an impro- I saw it in the high frame rate last time and it was an, either it was an improvement or I've got used to it. I mm. can't work out which one it is. First first time I watched it it really shocked me. It really, it was very, for the first hour, I was really uneasy because I'm not used to seeing anything like that. Mm. Um, and for me, it's actually, 
it's a bigger visual leap for me than 3D most of the time because most people barely use 3D properly. And after about 20 minutes, I kind of forget that I'm watching a 3D film because nothing seems to come out at me anymore. Um, but this, in certain bit, it, it's still an, I think it's still a new technology and people are still learning how to use it. But parts of it, I, I really, I actually was warming to the high high frame rate. Um, the the opening scene in the tavern where mm. uh, Thorin mm. and Gandalf meet, that that was one of those where I kind of literally felt like I was in there. It felt ridiculously realistic, and it wasn't, and there wasn't that much bad makeup and stuff. It didn't feel like in the first film when they're wandering around Bilbo's Hobbit hole. And because the high frame rate was so good, you could clearly see the the feet weren't proper, and you know, and it, that felt like a cheap TV movie set. Whereas, like the opening of this film felt felt you know kind of impressive, especially in the in the high frame rate. Um, it still at times looks like it's been shot on video, which makes it look like a big budget BBC children's TV program. Uh, did you get that feeling from it, Owen? Because that's that's all the first film reminded me of when I watched it. Yeah. It just looked like um, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe or something. <laughs> well, it's exactly what I said on the way at the cinema. So it just looks right. like a CBeebies thing. What's, yeah. you know, it's a bit weird. But, I mean, I, it didn't distract me from anything. I just no. happened to notice that some parts like, um, uh, well, well, when Evangeline Lilly's elf character is in the... Toriel. Yeah, yeah it was, Toriel. It was invented for the film, wasn't in the book. Is that right? Oh, well, I quite liked yeah. the character. I thought it was. I, 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 and you know what? Sometimes, and this happened in Lord of the Rings as well. Peter Jackson realised that there, there aren't many great female characters. So yeah. sod it. He's invented some because we're living ninety years in the future. Yeah. I, I've got no problem with that because no, I think that's an improvement. She was, yeah, she was good. But anyway, there was a scene with her in the little house in the little mm. fishing town, um, fighting a few people off walks and things like that. Yeah. that i thought it looked really good in the high frame mate i thought you know you can see everything in clear detail it does yeah. look a little odd when they're still leaping around rooms and stuff because you know it's yeah. a film but it looks real i think is yeah. the difference yeah it, it, I, a lot i think a lot of it's just down to perception but exactly um, but otherwise i thought you know yeah the, the, and the the scenic scenes mm. but, you know where you get to see new zealand in all its glory they look amazing in high frame rate as well Definitely. they look utterly incredible um yeah but it do, it kind of reminds me of the time yeah you know, it's not as extreme but you know you hear about the stories of the the very first film of the train coming towards the screen <laughs> and people running out of the cinema in fear thinking it's going to come through it's not that extreme but it is a it can it could be an incredible step forward in technology. I still think 3D is a bit of a gimmick and very few people know how to use it properly. If used properly, it's very impressive. Yeah, but... I mean, I think it's more similar to like the Cinerama, you know, the effect mm. that that had as opposed yeah. to... I mean, before yeah. I used to think, well, 3D was similar now to how perhaps, you know, when they first had films with colouring and stuff, yeah. you know, technical. But I think perhaps that's a bit dramatic and it's more akin to like, you know... Cinerama yeah. where the screens are bigger or the bend in yeah. the screens and stuff, you know. But I, uh, high frame rate feels more like that leap in terms of definition. Yeah. Um, we, you know, and that 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 diff. Although my wife still reckons she can't tell the difference between a DVD and a Blu-ray, no matter how many times <laughs> I show her the difference, she goes, "No, they just look the same to me." But I, I think high frame rate could be, you know, it it does really feel like you you are in that room with them, and if someone does kind of kind of work with that technology that could become quite 
quite a imp- very impressive uh, piece of technology. But like you say, it shouldn't detract from the film. And I noticed that um, all the press screenings for this film were in 2D and in normal frame rate because I think they the producers were a little bit annoyed that last year so much press was about the technology behind it rather than the film. They wanted people to judge the film this time, which I think think is fair. Um, yeah, performances again. Uh, I, I I really liked Martin Freeman. I, th- I think Martin Freeman is a perfect Bill Baggins. Um, he got a little bit darker in this one. Uh, a few of the characters did as well, and it, it, there was a little bit more depth, a little bit more darkness to it. it Ian McKellen as Gandalf is just always eminently watchable. Um, but like you say, uh, Evangeline Lilly's character, I thought she was really good in this. Uh, not only was the character, I thought she she was good. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought she was good, but it just meant she'd come hand in hand with Orlando Bloom. I didn't mind. I, I didn't mind just, Legolas in this. He's just. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind him so much in the original trilogy, but he's just so bloody. Turns up in a turns up in a forest. He's the most wooden thing in it. He's <laughs> just <laughs> awful. Just, I, d- I got, didn't got, think he was that he's bad. He's got no now. presence and no charisma. He's just boring. He's got. I don't know why I've sort of done, I just, nothing about him. It just yeah, you know, considering he's actually meant to be in the film, why why put him in there? Does does he not think um, about Peter Jackson? <laughs> the thing is, and in the books originally. Legolas's dad was the king of uh, is it Mirkwood? Is that the name of it? That kind of fire. so he has a legitimate reason to be <laughs> to be in the film. Steve. Well, yeah, I, I get that, but it's just kind of you know. <laughs> um, I mean Stephen I, Fry. What did we think of Stephen Fry then? He turns up as the master. Um, of I wasn't happy with the fact they made a joke out of him having gout. Uh, <laughs> I'm nerve, disgusted yeah. by that. Yeah, um, yeah. For for new listeners, uh, I've actually missed podcasts with Gabe before because it's fucking painful. But anyway, um, he, oh, he was just being Stephen Fry. Was I, yeah. I? I'll be honest. I like Stephen Fry. You know, national treasure status and all that kind of thing. I I am a big fan of a lot of what Stephen Fry does. I actually think someone with a bit more menace would have been far better in that role. It was playing it like a Blackadder character, wasn't he? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was Melcher. It, yeah. <laughs> it was he was he was Lord Melcher, which was a shame because his underling was actually good. I can't. It, I mean, it, he's played it, by someone quite impressive. His underling was essentially meant to be what um, same kind, similar kind of character as what the underling to the King of Rohan was in the in the Wormtongue. That's the one. Yeah. Kind of. A, yeah. Kind of a creepy, manipulative. Yeah. in command with his own agenda but when when the person in charge of him has got his own capacities about him he's not really worth anything hmm. yes and yeah yeah no i did think yeah it was like oh there's stephen fry i'll be honest it took me out of the film just a little bit as well simply because it, it he's so recognizably <laughs> stephen fry and so kind of all oh, right there's stephen fry not oh look there's the master of lake town um which was a bit of a shame, um, I, but someone who was unrecognisable, quite literally, um, Benedict Cumberbatch as uh, Smaug, who I thought voiced it really, you know, we talked a lot about the Gollum scene in Unexpected, well, Gollum scenes in Unexpected mm. Journey, how brilliant Andy Serkis is. Um, what I would say is 
I thought Cumberbatch did a very good job being the kind of the main antagonist of this film. Um, he got the voice right, I thought. Um, and the animation of the dragon was pretty impressive. It was amazing, well. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, I said earlier about the host with the movement of the monster in that, but it just incomparable to something like you know yeah. this. That I thought that every scene with Smaug in it. Yeah. Was just... And those mines as well, actually. That that was some wonderful oh, production yeah. design. Mm. Yeah. And, and that that's where the film really came to life. And you know what? It got me. It actually did get me quite excited about the next one as well, because you kind of you're starting to get an idea of what's coming. You know that uh, you know you've got the the build up to the events leading to uh, Lord of the Rings. You've you know anyone who knows about, and it's not giving anything away. You've got the Battle of the Five Armies to come. Um, I, I think what this film did well is it really set up the next film, but it, it's just a shame that on its own terms, it's just an enjoyable film and not much more. Well, I, I mean, you say that it's probably in my top 20 now. I mean, I okay. really, really enjoyed okay. it again. I thought it was good fun. Um, exactly the sort of film that I wanted it to be, I guess, a you know, proper yeah. adventure film. And uh, yeah, it is a shame that it just ends the way it does. But I was really impressed with lots of different aspects of it. We talked about the sort of how brilliant it looks. Part of that, I think, is to do with the way Peter Jackson's directed it. The action scenes in it were just just brilliant. Really, you know, an act, a director who's got everything spot on. Particularly he understands action. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that barrel scene. There's you get films where you get just the rare moments perhaps in the odd film where there's a ton of things happening on screen, but you can only perhaps clearly see or clearly follow exactly what's going on. Just, you know, one time in 10 that it happens. in. Yeah. But in this, there's at least two scenes, that barrel scene, I'm thinking as well, the, the stuff in the mine. Yeah. Maybe even three, if you count the stuff that happens in the house with the orcs. In Lake Town, yeah. Where you get everything, just the, the cameras are, just perfect you, you've got a picture yeah. of everything you can see precisely what's going on and the sort of flow of the action it just fits together perfectly yeah. it just yeah you know, it, it, it just flows really well um so I I really agree. you that. know what you know exactly what's going on there's a number of directors in recent years have done that badly most uh most famously michael yeah. bay yeah. his transformers films you haven't got bloody no. clue what's going on in those actions but no you're exactly right. i knew it, everything that was going on and i i don't know if peter jackson has seen the raid um <laughs> i know it's an odd one but that scene in the house in lake town um actually reminded me of a number of scenes in the raid not in terms of guns and things like that but in terms of a close encounters fight scene where you can still see absolutely yeah. everything that's going on, um, uh, and that that was, re- and then but then you move to this massive scene under the mines with the CGI dragon and things like that, and yeah, whatever you think about Peter Jackson, the man knows how to direct a big set piece action uh, action film, and look at, for me the best bits of the film were when those bits worked really really nicely, um, and I think maybe I'll judge this film a little bit more leniently when I get to see it up kind of leading directly into um, there and back again, because I think that's, I think that's how the film naturally fits for me. And I, I can't just, I can't quite love it yet because it just feels unfinished simply because of the way it ends. Yeah. I mean, um, as we've just gone over really, it just, it does just finish and it feels like, Oh, so there's supposed to be more 
and it's supposed yeah. to carry on and the sort of it's one of those where the screen fades to black and then you go oh it's a, it's a very obvious there's definitely a next yeah you know, definitely yeah. cliffhanger Exactly, but you know, again, going back to those Lord of the Rings, I, I still th- remember the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, which is, and actually, to be fair, the end of an unexpected journey as well. You build up to a big, um, kind of uh, Act Three set piece finale. Hmm. Can do it, and then go right, okay, what's next? But they're not, they're not as ob- yeah, but it's not as kind of fade to black, is it? It's you know, at the end of. Um... Uh, fellowship in a ring it's kind yeah. of just like right everyone's been split yeah. up and that's the next bit the end of the un- an unexpected journey it's all right we're all here at this yeah point. that's, that's exactly yeah. what i'm saying that, those films one, ended it's, right the uh, uh, desolation of smog it kind of smog it's like oh bloody hell dragon's out that's it <laughs> yeah it, that's it it actually finishes in the middle of an action sequence pretty much yeah. and that's i think that's what yeah hurt me the most was the fact that i was like what there is it's, it's where you might put an advert in a in a yeah. if it was on tv it's where you might put an advert or where you might put uh to be continued kind of next week and it's like well i've got to wait a year for that now yeah that's what annoyed they me ne- they, do you know what annoyed or, me they never read, expl- yeah. sorry steve carry on i say or, or read the book which is what i've done with the uh, the lord of the rings films i couldn't be wait um <laughs> Three years, two more years yeah. to find out the conclusion of a trilogy. So oh, good. Two books. Encourage you to read a book, then that's good. Well, you did the same with uh, Hunger Games. Did encourage- I did the I did that with Hunger Is Games. I watched yeah. the first Hunger Games film, and then I watched the next, and then I read the next two books. Not quite on a level with uh, Tolkien, no. but uh, <laughs> what what really annoyed you then, Owen? Yeah, just the way that they didn't explain how they got off the rock at the end of the first film, when the. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, okay, so there's just maybe a little awareness. <laughs> yeah, that one of the eagles came back yeah. and just like helped them down. Or a rope yeah, at least, and at least there was no bits where I went, well, why don't they? Yeah, it was, no, yeah, no. the end of that film still really annoys me in that sense. And I, I, I think this was just, I think this was better plotted in that sense. It didn't feel as kind of episodic as the first one. Oh, look, here they are up against a bad person. Gandalf comes back to save them. They move on for a bit. Oh, another bad person, Gandalf comes. There was less of that in this. There was a lot more going on. And at times, like I say, I think if this had been an HBO miniseries with nine or ten one-hour episodes, people would be fawning all yeah, over it. Um, but because it's because you've got to go to a cinema and sit down for three hours and not go to the toilet and stuff like that, people do... Uh, People will moan about the length, um, and like I say, and it does make it does feel unfinished because I can't watch the next three hours in the next three weeks. That's what annoys me about it. Um, but apart from that, no, it's a decent film, and if you like the first one, you'll 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 like this one. Yeah. Um, if you like Peter Jackson in Middle Earth, you'll really like this one. And even if you didn't, this might kind of win you round because it, it it's a good action mm-hmm. film. Talking about, and the last blockbuster of the year, and I'm glad it ended on a positive as well. Yeah, they've they've sort of got a trick with that, and they haven't they? If they're the last one of the year, they're the last one yeah. people are going to be thinking about. Perhaps that's why it ended yeah. up in my top ten. <laughs> but uh, yes, possibly. <laughs> just talking about the. I'm sure they were thinking of that exactly. Yeah, talking about the length of the film, just a slight tangent. There was a woman who went, oh, I saw this in Birmingham. I went to see my parents at the weekend, and. Um, while we while I was there, I was thought, oh, I'll take advantage of this. We're going to see it in the high frame rate. There was a person who, just one woman on her own, who took two very small kids in 
they must have been about, I don't know, five and three, something like that, to see The Hobbit at eight o'clock in the evening. Bear in mind, the film doesn't really start until about half past 22 anyway. No, so you're looking half 11 by the time the credits roll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just thought... And they've got to wear those stupid glasses. They've got to wear the glasses. They did cry a lot during the film and she had to take them down to the front quite often. I thought, what are you... Why would you do that to your kids? You know, I know... Okay, (laughs) you might really want to see the film and because it's quite late, they might go to sleep. But never mind the people who were there to see it without having a baby crying every 30 minutes. Yeah. Why would someone do that to their own children? God, I don't know. It's just... Poor etiquette. Scum. Yeah. Subhuman scum. That, that's, that's it. Take the kids off them. That's it. <laughs> but anyway, I, I was just having a moan. I think that brings uh, to uh, end our review then of uh, the second part in the Hobbit series. Join us this time next year for our <laughs> third part in the trilogy. Um, but we will be back in the meantime as well. Um, I have one more short break, then we'll be back with some recommendations. So our recommendations then for the uh, upcoming week, um, which will probably take us over into the Christmas period as well, actually. Um... I'm going to go for Christmas Eve. If you're not, if you're stuck at home on Christmas Eve, um, trying to put up with family and wrap last minute presents and uh, make sure you've got all the veg prepared to put in the oven for the next day, there's plenty of films on Christmas Eve. Uh, film four, quarter past three, Escape the Victory, BBC. <laughs> Classic. It's a weekly recommendation, that. <laughs> It'll be on somewhere. Just watch it every week. Um, yeah. BBC One, twenty to three, uh, twenty to four. Sorry, Toy Story Two. Uh, also, Finding Nemo on BBC One at five to five to six. So you can have a bit of a Pixar back to back there. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is on BBC Three at eight o'clock. Ghostbusters oh, is on God. Five Star at nine o'clock. Pool, which is quite underrated by many, with Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and uh, Seth Rogen. Nine o'clock on Film Four. Die Hard Two is on E4 at nine o'clock. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles on Film Four at eleven o'clock. Eric's oh, great Christmas. So film. much for you to watch on Christmas Eve. It's almost worth not going to the pub, but I will be. <laughs> Uh, James, what are you recommending? Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to bother touching TV, Steve, because you got it so adequately covered there. I'm just going to say out on DVD on Monday and buy it for yourself or buy it as a present for someone who just likes good films and comedy. Uh, one of my favourite films of the year. It's in my top ten. Um, and quite an underrated well flew under the radar i think it didn't come with a huge amount of fanfare the way way back uh which is um a great little comedy starring sam rockwell alison janey steve carell about uh, a teenage boy's coming of age over the summer at a water park and it's funny and heartwarming and just uh, just a really really great film so that's out on dvd on monday sam rockwell's brilliant in that isn't he He's incredible in it. Yeah, he's he's just he's just one of those really funny, charming people anyway. And then when he's when he's given a script like that as well, it's brilliant. 
Uh, and Owen, finally, yourself. Yeah, I'm not going to pick anything from TV either because you've covered it all. But I have got a um, a best film on TV article on the failcritics.com website for, for this week anyway that leads us up to Sunday. So just before Steve's full day of Christmas yeah, marathon yeah. <laughs> films. So I'm going to pick instead a, a film that's been added to Love Film Instant um, just recently. And one of my favourite films of the year, The Place Beyond the Pines. Starring Bradley Cooper, Ryan Gosling. It's just, I I ended up having to take a day's leave to go and see this at the cinema because it was only showing in midday at my cinema world. So I ended up just booking a day's leave and it was totally worth it. It was just, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's, that is praise indeed. Yeah. Competing currently with Django, Side Effects and Alpha Papa, for, which is going to be my favourite film of the year. It's going to be one of those. At the minute, I am leaning more towards Place Beyond the Pines. Hmm. Well, I suppose. Which leads us nicely on to, Steve. Yes, um, the, the, the bit where we remind you that we are taking <laughs> for our end-of-year uh, awards uh, on over at the website www.failcritics.com. You'll be able to find um, a section where you can vote for your, your um, favourites in how many categories are there? Uh, there are um, seven, I think, six or seven categories. We've got film of the year, uh, favourite male acting performance, favourite female acting performance, best documentary, best soundtrack, and favourite uh, film not in the English language. Um, and, and so I think here we're going to pitch, aren't we? For, for yeah, we're going to pitch. It's a last, a last minute desperate plea for votes for our favourite films. Uh, we're all going to give a quick pitch for 30 seconds on why you should watch and vote for a film that we want you to vote for. Okay. Desperate <laughs> political nonsense. Party political broadcast. Yes. Uh, why don't you kick us off then, James, seeing as it's a bright okay. idea. Okay. Uh, okay, very, very quickly, the film I want you to vote for is Cloud Atlas, a film that was criminally overlooked by all the various awards people earlier this year out in february didn't really get much of a marketing push it is an incredibly oh just an incredible technical achievement by the wachowski siblings and tom twyker um a load of actors putting incredible performances in it brilliant brilliant soundtrack um don't be put off by its two hour 40 running time because it has the momentum of a runaway juggernaut um absolutely great sci-fi brilliant period drama and you get to hear tom hanks doing a dreadful irish accent and talking some kind of futuristic pat- patois um that's the true true vote for it true, true. <laughs> uh, owen uh okay well unsurprisingly i'm gonna pick the place beyond the pines um I don't think it's been nominated for many uh, awards just yet, which is a, a real shame. I think it's... I mean, Derek Cianfrance, the guy who's directed it, also did Blue Valentine, and Blue Valentine seemed to have been met with a lot more critical praise um, than The Place Beyond the Points. But of the two, this is my favourite. I think it's just... It's a story about people, about life, endurance, compassion, love, as well as stuff like violence, deceit, theft, hate. It's all just rolled into one brilliant film uh it makes me just i mean it's just a remarkable achievement and it's, it's set in three parts you've got three different stories and they all link together very neatly very nicely um 
it, yeah, just Cloud Atlas has got six stories. Six stories. Makes it twice as good. Twice as good. <laughs> 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 well, not me, but yeah, but it's sorry. Um, <laughs> I've lost track now. What was I saying? Yeah, anyway, it's a great film. Watch it. Place beyond the points. And you've got no excuse if it's on another film and you've got an account. You can watch it just on your laptop in bed, maybe, or on the TV, I, or rent it. Yeah, watch it. And if you don't want to vote for either of those two, why don't you vote for the film that I'm recommending, which is Rush, the um, the story of the 1976 Formula One season and the battle between James Hunt and Nicky Lauda, played excellently by Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Brühl. Um, it is excellent. It depicts, you know, as portrays a drama felt in sports um, and the events that happened within that season uh, and, and the battle between the two excellently. Uh, only one story in this one, not six, not three, just one. <laughs> but it's probably better than the um, other stories combined in those films. So <laughs> this one story is better than those nine. So I'd vote for Rush as your favourite film of the year. What's good is all three of them are are excellent films who are likely to get overlooked by the big awards though. Mm. And that's it's a shame, but it, it's it's for me, I you know, I'm I'm compiling my list at the moment and I think this has been a great year for cinema. Um some of the the bigger films have let me down, but beneath that so many, so many. I'm finding it far more difficult to put together my list this year than I did last year. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's much tougher. We've also had some pretty shit films this year, though. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe I've just seen more films, but uh, yeah, I, I'm finding there's there's more in that kind of four star area mm. than. So I've seen a load more in that four star area than I did last year. Uh, that brings to an end the podcast for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening, new listeners and old listeners. Um, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, we'd like you to recommend us to as many people as possible and, um, you know, just keep listening as well. And we thank you very much for doing so. Uh, you can, we really want your feedback and your comments as well. And you want. Failedcritics.com. We're on Twitter at Failed Critics, and we've got an email address now. Should you wish to send us an email about anything, podcast at failedcritics.com. Um, James, would you like to add anything else in this bit? Uh, no, except the, the sign just went blank because we're massively shambolic here, just operating on Skype. Uh, did you mention Facebook? I did not mention Facebook. but we're... There we go then. Uh, so you can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics as well. And yeah, no, gen- genuinely, you won't believe how ridiculously happy it's made us just finding out this this spike in listener numbers. And it's kind of, it's reinvigorated us slightly because I thought it was maybe a few of our friends and someone's nan downloading <laughs> us. And it turns out there are, there are literally tens and nearly hundreds of you. Well, there's over a hundred of you, which is good. Uh, in fact, there are hundreds. Two hundred is hundreds, isn't it? Plural of hundreds. Um, get away with that. There are hundreds <laughs> of you out there, yeah. Uh, and that's that's just that's made me feel really nice. It's been a nice little early Christmas present. So thank you for listening, and please, please continue to download our podcast if we're not completely terrible people. 
Uh, excellent. And our Christmas, well, our end of year special. Uh, when? Yes. Plan. Okay, end of year special. Uh, it's going to be out between Christmas and New Year, so you've got a little bit of time still left to uh, to vote in the F- FL Critics Awards. But that's this is our last kind of regular podcast of the year end of year special out between christmas and new year we're trying to get jerry back we might have some other special guests and by special guests i mean people who've spoken to us on the podcast before not famous um and what we'll be doing is we'll be going through we'll we'll talk about our own personal favorite films of the year um our surprises our biggest disappointments of the year as well and what we're looking forward to in 2014 and then it's the big award ceremony where we'll all get drunk and slag off famous people and each other as we reveal our top 10 films of the year and our favorite actors actresses etc with the amount of libel that will come out in that one that <laughs> yeah that might be heavily redacted yeah, now we've got listeners i've actually got to pay attention it'll be to our it. shortest podcast ever that one right? <laughs> what is it today? one hour and 15 minutes long yeah <laughs> uh, anyway that's all for this week uh, join us uh, in somewhere between now and Christmas for the, uh, well, now and the New Year, sorry, for the end of year special. The failed critics are Steve Norman, James Diamond, and Owen Hughes, with original music by Kevin McLeod and Competech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, Twitter at at failedcritics, and you can also find the podcast on iTunes. You can email us at podcast at failedcritics.com. Thanks for listening. Go. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Go back and listen to some classic failed critics with uh, the strange northerner. Um, <laughs> they were some good times. And the strange northerner who sometimes talks in a Spanish accent. Yeah. Um, hopefully, Jerry's going to be back for our um, best of the year show next week, which would be it'd be nice to hear Jerry's dulcet tones again. Yeah, so if, and if you all of you listeners, new and old, go to www.feldcritics.com you can vote in our end of year awards um, all the votes will count to picking our best film best actors and actresses etc of the last 12 months so go over there and vote um, and the winners of various categories will be announced next week but this week yes. we have got um, what we usually have we've got the quiz, we've got the news we've got what we've been watching and we've got the new release review of The Hobbit a desolation of smaug uh but we'll start off with the quiz where it's currently one all no very exciting uh this this it's one of those i think it's one of those of oh, the next goal will be crucial type quizzes so uh let's have a look and see and i'm gonna go back to 90 no yeah 1990 and start with leatherface texas chainsaw massacre 3 Owen's desperately scratching his head. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it. I haven't seen it. Um, but carry on. Same, okay, same year. Young Guns 2. Okay, moving on to 1993. Carlito's Way. That's a jumping quality. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. 
Uh, moving on to 1995, Crimson Tide. These are tough. Yeah, this is hard. 1997, G.I. Jane. So uh, we, are we looking at an actual female actress this time? Not an uh, no, this this is an actor. There you go. Oh, I've helped okay. you now. This is an actor. Um, 1998, the utterly pointless Gus Van Sant remake of Psycho. Okay, this is where the link comes in. Uh, this is where it gets a little bit easier, possibly. In 2001, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Steve. Uh, no. Steve was in first. Yeah, but I was thinking of actresses still. <laughs> um let's take a stab in the dark it's not gonna be Viggo Mortensen it's not gonna be yes, oh, you ran, that's who I was gonna oh. <laughs> oh Steve on dodgy ground with that yeah. point but he gets the slightly offside tap in <laughs> There's nothing, there's nothing dubious about it. I called first, but I can't. <laughs> called first without having an idea of what you were going to say. You had an, oh, no, no, Steve. That's, shocking, oh. shocking. I was, I was thinking, I was still thinking of actresses. I was going to guess Liv Tyler, and then I, oh. I've got, a, I've been forcing the guessing a male here, which I would. <laughs> it's not any of the hobbits. So it's not a oh. room because he's British, so it won't be him. They all count, don't they, Steve? <laughs> Doesn't matter. How Steve it takes two-one lead. Yeah. There we are. Uh, there's the quiz. I'm in a 2-1 lead over Owen in this round. Um, so on to the news. Yeah, um, it's been a quite a tragic... Well, not tra- oh, tragic. Two, two uh, actors died, and they were very old, and it wasn't a huge surprise. But it's really sad um, when anyone who has... Uh, given so much to a particular art form dies. Um, the first one was on Sunday. We heard that Peter O'Toole, the classic, I think you have to tr- use the trademark term Hellraiser, don't you? It's the last of the Hellraisers seems to be um, what most of the mainstream media are going for. And yeah, he did self mythologize a lot himself, uh, obviously because he was self mythologizing. Anyway, um, he was an incredible actor as well as an incredible drunk uh, and a bon viveur. Uh, obviously, Lawrence of Olivia, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, not of <laughs> Olivier. God, yeah. there we go. See, they're switching off in droves. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia, his kind of defining moment. Although I didn't realize, I found out today, eight Oscar nominations and never won a single one. That feels, mm. it feels more than harsh. Uh, I think. Do you know what? I, I think that that pretty much qualifies him for our corridor of praise instantly, he, doesn't it? Never, he never won an Oscar. Did get an Academy Honorary Award. Yeah, they, they, that's taking the piss. I, I liked, <laughs> I liked his response to it though. What was he? What was it, Steve? He he wrote the Academy a letter saying that he was still in the game and he'd like more time to win the lovely bugger outright. <laughs> oh, nice. Bless him. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. So free. Peter, my first experience with Peter O'Toole was in Supergirl um, a long, long time ago. Uh, not one of his fine movies, I'll be honest. Uh, and, and most recently, uh, my, one of my most treasured, um, one of my most treasured roles of his, actually, something that I've been able to share with my daughter, uh, who is a big fan of the Pixar film Ratatouille. Um, and of course, he plays the the vicious food critic in that in a in a beautiful kind of 
way um so that, that's a role i've been able to share with my daughter about that i don't know about you guys if you've seen him in much not not in much in in one or two things yeah I mean, he's got like owen said beforehand he's got one of those faces that you know and you know who it is and it does it kind of makes me feel a little bit embarrassed that i haven't seen more of his work yeah i mean lovance of arabia is or lovance of olivier was uh... <laughs> Yeah. intent on calling it he i mean it is just a one of those films that you think okay well this is an actor who is putting in the defining performance of his oh. career so uh, yeah I'm, I'm really surprised to learn he didn't actually win an, um, uh, any sort of academy awards for that but yeah you know, it's just one of those um, things isn't it i know so yeah sadly missed um there is a fantastic uh one of the great clips i saw of him uh, on youtube uh, when everyone was sharing like stories of him uh was him and richard harris at the heineken cup final in 2000 which i attended i didn't realize that but they were obviously in the posh bit um and uh monster in the final and richard harris is showing off that uh, they've both had a bit to drink showing off his his monster jersey <laughs> peter o'toole just rugby tackles him to the lounge <laughs> two old blokes getting pissed up and rugby tackling each other in the hospitality section I, I just yeah they they live life mm. to the fullest and that that's also to be commended um and then kind of following on the heels from that very sadly the death of Joan Fontaine who um most famously played uh Mrs De Winters who I think I think I mentioned in a triple bill very recently about characters um without a a name or a first name that triple bill we did she is mrs de winters in uh hitchcock's rebecca and she also was in hitchcock's suspicion the year after with uh Cary grant another classic of the the old hollywood era and again another one that i'm now thinking i need to go and see a little bit more of her having read a lot about her but rebecca is just one of my favorite hitchcock films and it's a fantastic performance from her so very sad. i think she was 96 so again fair play yeah good uh, innings uh but yeah a, a, another sad loss to hollywood yeah um didn't we have some other award nominations we did um the golden globes which is the kind of it's the slightly stupid awards <laughs> ceremony <laughs> where where they do tend to sometimes nominate things just to make sure that certain people turn up um for example i think well, certainly um, with the films i think it's more credible the for the tv it's more credible yeah. with the tv and, and most of the film it's just there's always one or two films that sneak into the nominations and you think really um johnny depp and Angeli- angelina jolie's the tourist um one of the most famous recent examples mm. in the last few years where they just went well we need to get johnny depp here what films has he been in let's nominate one of them it's a, it's a little bit of a weird one but I, th- I think it's a good batch of uh, nominees this year. And unlike last year, there's no huge front, ri- you know, no kind of overwhelming front runners. Um, so best motion picture drama, we've got 12 Years a Slave, Captain Phillips, Gravity, Philomena, really pleased to see Philomena get a spot on there. And Rush, I get, oh, that's five. Well, that's three good films that I've seen. I've heard decent things about Captain Phillips, but you weren't over enamoured with it, were you, Owen? Captain Phillips. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a good film. It was a good little thriller, it? but it's not one of the five best of the year no. for me. No. Do you think that's to get Tom Hanks there? Oh, um, yeah, it could be. Um, Doesn't really feel that, like the kind of film that's Oscar like, award worthy. No. It's, it's no. Good. It's, it's enjoyable. There's good performances in it, but it's not really. 
Mm. Okay. One, but I am um, glad to see Philomena there. I think that's... Um, yeah, I'm really pleased to see Philomena in there. And uh, it's interesting that's gone straight into best motion picture drama because obviously the Golden Globes is one that splits drama mm. and comedy or musical. And there was a... You know, it could have fitted into the... Co- it, it's a very funny film, but... Uh, Good to see that get a nod. Best actor in a motion picture, we've got uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor uh, for 12 Years a Slave. Not out until the, is it the 6th or the 13th of January over here? So not long to go until we see that. Um, Idris Elba, Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom, Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips, Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club, which I'm very excited about seeing, and Robert Redford for All is Lost, which appears to be Robert Redford in a boat. Um, against the storm that that's still not out in the uk either um so that's interesting um again that's also drama uh, best actress in a motion picture kate blanchett for blue jasmine sandra bullock for gravity judy dench for philomena uh emma thompson for saving mr banks i'm really really happy about those kate winslet for labor day as well best director you're looking at alfonso curon for gravity paul greengrass for captain phillips steve mcqueen 12 years slave Alexander Payne for Nebraska and David O. Russell for American Hustle. Um, and yeah. in fact, the, this list I've got doesn't appear to have the best comedy or musicals. I've got the... Right. That's really annoying. Has anyone else got it there? Because I've got the Telegraph and they've let me down <laughs> in a major way. The film nominations. I mean, yeah, film nominations, comedy picture. or musical. Yeah, best motion picture from comedy or musical. Yeah, well, this confuses me a little bit because American Hustle, Her, yep. Inside Llewellyn Davis... Nebraska and The Wolf of Wall Street. See now, yeah, I would that's... have put The Wolf of Wall Street as drama and Philomena as a comedy. Yeah. I know well, it's not strictly a comedy itself. Yeah. Comparing the it's two. Go- I know it's going to be because Wolf of Wall Street is a full three hours long. Mm. Um, I'm hearing good things about it. I'm hearing it's Scorsese's it best film. Amazing. Good films. Trailer. Uh, the trailer looks fantastic. Mm. Um, uh, and the fact that it's in there makes me think actually it might it might be a fun three hours rather than kind of like sitting there thinking this has gone on a bit long. So I'm kind of excited that it's in there. It seems weird that it's in there, but we've not seen it. And maybe it's a lot funnier than, than we thought it would be. Yeah, possibly. Um, but you know, who knows? Di- DiCaprio's got a nod towards best actor as well. for. Yeah. So he got that um, Christian Bell for American Hustle as well. Bruce Dern for Nebraska, which I really want to see before the end of this year. Cause I still, not a huge fan of Alexander Payne, but a lot of people say it's fantastic. Um, Joaquin Phoenix for her, which isn't out here until next year. Uh, the new Spike uh, Jonesy film. And um, yeah, Inside Llewellyn Davis, the new Coen Brothers film, isn't it? That one. Yeah. So Oscar yeah. Isaac nominated there. Um, Best Actress. Uh, some good uh, Amy Adams, uh, Julie Delphi for Before Midnight. Um, Greta Gerwig for Francis R. Julia Louis-Dreyfus for Enough Said, which I'm really, really pleased about just because she's fantastic. <laughs> um, and Meryl Streep as well. So it, there, there's some decent ones. Um, Best Foreign Language Film uh, has got Blue is the Warmest Colour, The Hunt, and The Wind Rises, the new um, studio. Studio Ghibli, yeah. Well, that's not which also isn't <laughs> out here. Until, it's not even out in America until no. May, officially. Um, but it did get shown at, I think, Toronto. Um, so that's how it's in there. Well, it's, uh, and then there's like, his last film, isn't it? So I mean, it's going to have a lot yeah. of buzz about that. Uh, load of TV ones in there as well, which we won't go into too much. Just nice to see um, Jason Bateman for Arrested Development get a nod. Just that's all I'm going to say there. Um, so yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Um, and the other thing is as well, Behind the Candelabra didn't get any of the film uh, nominations simply because it wasn't released in cinemas over there, but. 
Michael Douglas and Rob Lowe have both got nods for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, and good luck to both of those. Yeah, behind, I mean, Behind the Candelabra did get a nomination for Best Miniseries slash Motion Picture for TV. Yes, yes, TV. clearly made sure it's not actually, you know, in the other categories, which seems bizarre, because, yeah. I mean, I know in America it was made by HBO and everything, but it's it wasn't shown on TV here in the UK. It was a uh, no. Mo- the Golden Globes eligibility criteria means it's got to have been shown in a cinema in New York or LA, I think. Is that it hasn't, uh, yeah? It's a bit like the Oscar ones as well. They need to have been shown in a cinema in New York or LA and have had a review carried by one of the New York Times. Yeah, it's, mm. it's really kind of like old school weird rules and stuff like that. But yeah, so um, Golden Globes, we look forward to those, um, and they've given us a bit of a clue as to what might end up in the Oscars. Yeah, and that's all for part one. Uh, up next, we've what we've been watching. So, what we've been watching—the bit of the film where we review films that aren't necessarily included in our new release section—could um, be from any time, anywhere. But we have seen them this week. Uh, so, Owen, why don't you start us off? Yeah. Okay. I'll start. Uh, well, before I actually go into the film that I'm going to review. Um, because we're talking about The Hobbit later, whilst I was in the cinema waiting to watch it and they show all the trailers and adverts at the start, they showed a new sort of preview, if you like, an extended preview of Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which I've talked about on here before and said, I'm putting my sort of hat down and saying, I think that's going to be the best of the Marvel Phase 2 movies. I know Guardians of the Galaxy is getting a lot of praise at the minute. But I just think this, the story for that and what it's trying to do, turning it into a sort of a, a sort of spy thriller reaction type film, I just think it's going to be just brilliant. So the trailer for that. I assume really you're not including Avengers two in that. Oh, are you? Yeah, maybe. I mean, Avengers Whoa. two, I think, because it might it might fall a little bit midway in the whole series, if you like. Mm. And, you know, that's always a problem, which perhaps we'll talk about later with the Hobbit. <laughs> but they, yeah, Winter Soldier just looks looks really good, looks really slick, and uh, yeah, very excited for that. But yeah, anyway, the film I'm going to talk about is uh, The Host, not the one that came out this year, but the 2006 South Korean film. Um, I talked about Old Boy on the last podcast, and I ended up watching. Uh, Park Chan-wook's old boy sort of the next day um, or we watching it and then after that I watched The Chaser which is another sort of good revenge thriller from from South Korea but I wanted to watch something a little bit different and I ended up picking up uh, the DVD of the host for a quid which is a bargain uh, it was recommended by uh, at Munchkin365 on Twitter earlier this year when I was asking people for creature features for just some sort of recommendations uh, I was already kind of aware of it but I didn't really recognised the the reputation it had until sort of he told me about it uh, because it was the highest grossing film in Korea when it came out it was like a massive film in 2006 um, it's kind of comparable I guess to Cloverfield if you like it's not a found footage film at all but it's just about um, well it's set on in in Seoul on the Han River and there's this monster that's that's come out of the river and it snatched this young girl who's the daughter of this guy who's a bit of an narcoleptic um he's a bit of a loser he, you know works in his dad's shop keeps stealing things from the shop and his customers and you know doesn't really have any prospects he's one of those sort of characters but it's his daughter who gets stolen by this monster that's terrorizing um all the people alongside the river 
but the guy himself, he gets quarantined by the government because he's been in contact with the monster and they think that, you know, it's, it's spreading a virus. Um, and eventually it's the, this guy, his sister, his brother and his dad who try to save his daughter from the monster because they, they believe she's still alive. And it's it's really well acted. There's a few familiar faces. So the, the main guy who plays the fart is Kang Ho Song. Who I don't know whether you saw it, James, because I know you like um, Park Chan Wook as well. But it's, mm. he's he's the vampiric priest from Thirst. Oh, from Thirst. No, I've got yeah. that kind of queued up to watch at some point. Yeah, that's a really that's just a fantastic film. Um, but he's he's also in you know lots of other things like uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, for example, mm-hmm. and yeah. it also stars Duna Bay, who was also in Sympathy okay. for Mr. Vengeance, but is probably more well known for Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas, yeah, yeah, which he was just brilliant in. I thought she yeah. was really fantastic in that. Um, but yeah, the film itself, it's got a lot of humour, perhaps more than I expected. So I, as I said, I, I suppose it is comparable in a way to Cloverfield and that it's a monster running amok in a huge city, um, although it's much more scaled down in this. Um, but it wasn't quite as serious as that. There's a, the, the tone it takes a little while to adjust to. I think um, Matt Munchkin365 sort of said that as well. It, you have to carefully <laughs> set the, set how you're going to set your expectation levels for it because mm. it's it's not as serious as that there are serious or more dramatic moments in it um but there's a lot of humor in there as well the characters there's a lot of fun to be found if you like they don't take it too seriously considering it's this mutant fish thing that's just running around snatching people so yeah i mean it's much better than cloverfield as well i'm uh, like I say, it was rather it was rather unexpected um, in that sense, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I suppose the other thing that's worth mentioning about the host is the CGI. Uh, whilst watching it a few times, I didn't think the CGI looked that great. I thought mm, it looks a little bit sci-fi movie-ish. Um, but you know, as my wife pointed out whilst we were watching it, it was made in 2006. So for, for a 2006 sci-fi blockbuster made in Korea on perhaps a fraction of the budget that something like Cloverfield is, it looked actually pretty good. I particularly like the little things about the, the monster. So the way it moves is great. The way it sort of swings underneath this bridge. It just look that that looks pretty impressive, actually. So and the monster himself, the creature design is pretty uh, you w- it's different to something you would probably get in a western film I think it just looks a bit more influenced by that Asian style and particularly set around um, the Han River and it's all that like fish monster you know the creature from the Black Lagoon type thing so that was quite nice as well um, but yeah I mean it was, it was really good it was it was it was a lot different to sort of other Korean films I've seen recently particularly because I watch a lot of the like revenge thrillers that tend to be quite violent and quite dark and twisted and this was just a bit more light, a bit more um, like a sci-fi movie than a horror movie. So, yeah, it was really good. Um, there's a lot of satire to it as well. I'm still kind of digesting it because I've only seen it earlier today. So I can't really give a full on description of what exactly it was satirizing. But there's lots of stuff about the government and about the way people are treated and stuff like that. So there's there's that element to it as well, if you want something a bit deeper to your regular creature features but um yeah no it's really good i definitely definitely recommend it okay uh for my film this week been getting into festive spirit with it being christmas just about a week away uh watched the christmas film i've not seen before i actually thought it was newer than 2011 
Uh, it is Arthur Christmas, made by uh, Ardman Animations, who are um, they're responsible for Wallace and Gromit, um, among other things. Although this isn't claymation, it's animated. Um, it stars James McAvoy as Arthur Christmas. He's Santa Claus's son. Uh, Santa Claus voiced by Jim Broadbent. Uh, Hugh Laurie plays Santa Claus's dad. Uh, sorry, Hugh Laurie plays Arthur's brother and Bill Nye voices uh, Santa Claus's dad. And basically Santa is... <coughs> Christmas has become like a more high-tech military operation um, down to mainly Steve, who is Arthur's brother. Um, and one Christmas, everything gets delivered in Santa's new what is sleigh, which is basically a spaceship. Um, but they find out that somehow they have left one present behind. One child will wake up on Christmas without a present, which is basically unthinkable. <laughs> yeah, you can't have that happen. Except in, in Steve's mind, because he sees with you know there being two billion children on the planet, one being a... a, a Acceptable margin of error, uh, but Arthur doesn't agree with this. Uh, Santa, he's just done his 70th mission. He's meant to retire, and Steve's meant to take over as oldest son. But he's going to he's going to carry on his Santa, which annoys Steve. Arthur wants this one present delivered. Um, no one seems to be listening to him except his granddad, Santa's dad, who helps him deliver the present with the aid of his original the descendant of his original eight reindeer so um and eventually they get to the child's house but then santa turns up so does steve they all want the glory of giving the present to the child they all want to be seen as the best they've all got their own motives except arthur who actually only wants to give the present because he wants the child to have the present everyone else wants to do it for their own and that's purpose. the true spirit that, of christmas. that's exactly it it is really good Okay. A lot of kids' films that come out, especially Christmas ones now, tend to be a bit, you know, a bit cliched and a bit rub and a bit boring, and the plot's not up to much, and it's just got a buy the books. But this one is is really good. It's funny. The voice acting's really good. Um, you'd never guess it was James McAvoy. Everyone else, you can guess it's them, but mm. we wouldn't. You wouldn't really guess it's James McAvoy. Um, you've got, you know, some some nice little like the. At the end, I, you know, I said that Santa's now flying around in a spaceship to deliver the presents, um, which is the bat. It's a mile wide, mile wide, wide spaceship. At the end, it's being it ends up being pulled by the eight reindeer plus a thousand others. Oh. It's just it's just a really good Christmas story with a good message, good performances. It's on Sky Movies Christmas quite a lot at the moment. It's probably available in other places. But... Is is it very British? Does it feel? No, does it have a kind of British sensibility, no, a British sense of humour? It doesn't really feel that British, to be honest. Okay. The, the the girl who doesn't get the toy but does in the end is from Britain, but then they go off, all off around the world, and yeah. you know, there's a, a a you because they think that this Santa's sleigh is a is a UFO. It tries to get shot down by U.S. predator. It does get shot down by U.S. predator drone. And you know, you, uh, who is it? Um, I can't remember her name, but there's you know a couple of American people playing basically people in what is meant to be the UN, you know, Americans. Yeah. Um, shooting down some reindeer because they think it's a UFO. 
Um, but if, nice. if you've got kids... Well, is it a savage attack on American foreign policy? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it to be, but it's really not. <laughs> it's just them shooting some reindeer out of the sky. Oh, OK, OK. So nothing about Obama's drone policy. Well, it's probably, probably there, something so. to do with the NRA, I imagine, and drone policy, <laughs> yeah. What, what, this, what this children's Christmas film is, is really a thinly veiled parody of American politics. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can imagine that. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll give that a go. It's then, not, Steve, it's not really, but you know, if if you have kids or if you like Christmas, you should really give this one a watch because it is it is good fun with a good message, and a good story. Excellent. Uh, so, James, what's your film for the week? Well, that brings me on very, very, very quickly. Last week, I did review the new release, the Disney film Frozen, and I just want to say I took my three-year-old daughter to the cinema to watch it at the weekend it's the first time she stayed in a cinema for the entire running length of a film without wanting to go because i took her to see my neighbor totoro because uh, i'm such a hipster <laughs> uh, i was determined that my daughter's for we didn't we did actually go and see the dubbed one though so i'm not that hip i didn't take her to see a subtitle version of it but um yeah she kind of had to leave halfway through that because she was shouting and just wanting to enjoy the film but other people were there who didn't want that and fair enough so we left but um i just want to say i went to my local odeon and they were running an autism friendly screening um and, but it's the kind of screening that anyone who's got kids who want to actually be kids but also want the joy of going to the cinema it's a fantastic opportunity most local audience will run one of these it just depends which films are out at the time but i went to see this um the great thing about it is uh lights are up slightly volumes down slightly and there's no expectation of everyone sitting there in silence watching the film. You can move around. You can make a bit of noise if you want. You know, everyone who goes in buys into that. Um, also, no trailers, um, no adverts, no Kevin Bacon talking about no-brainers, which I'm sorry is not an English term. It's an American term. That whole <laughs> thing is nonsense. Um, but And she, she sat there completely enraptured by it, which was just really nice to see. There's a really nice kind of Mickey Mouse old school Mickey Mouse meets new school Mickey Mouse um, bit beforehand, which she really enjoyed as well. So anyone who's got young kids, fantastic film to go and see. And if you can find any of these autism friendly screenings, uh, uh, it was just a really, really lovely experience. And I'll be honest, I've not had many of those in my local Odeon recently. And it's kind of restored my faith a little bit in that cinema chain. Um, But the main film I do want to talk about, uh, which I went to see uh, in a preview, it seems to have been previewing for about a month. It's still not out until Boxing Day, but um, Owen went to see it a couple of weeks ago. And Owen's words were, James, I think you'd actually like this even more than I did. Um, it's an indie film with a big budget. And you hit the nail on the head, Owen, to you be know? honest. Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I actually really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, I've seen, and the thing is, I've seen a lot of films which are difficult watches in the last week or so, which make me question like some really dark areas of humanity the act of killing uh being one that i spoke about on here recently i rewatched cloud atlas again recently as well you know it's it's a brilliant film but it's not exactly a sit back and eat your popcorn and kind of switch your mind off type film um and so it was quite nice actually to just watch a really nice film um it, it, it it's it's a pg uh, there's no extreme violence there's no extreme language but it's a it's a nice film 
What really, really impressed me about it, though, you know, it's a uh, remake of a 1970s film based on a short story. It's about a guy who you know, has this really loser, well, not loser, but a very anonymous life. He doesn't really go out. He doesn't travel. He doesn't do anything in his life. Daydreams a lot. And then he's kind of he gets a call to action um, uh, when the magazine that he works on is closing. And the last negative from this intrepid explorer photographer goes missing. And so Walter Mitty decides to track down that negative to turn it into the cover of the magazine um so it's this unassuming guy who doesn't even have a passport off he goes on this huge adventure um and it it, it kind of plays out if you've seen the trailer it plays out pretty much how you would imagine having seen the trailer one thing that really impressed me though was uh, yeah it's a it's directed and starring uh directed by and starring ben stiller and i did expect it to be a little bit of a a Ben Stiller a thon, uh, and he is on screen a lot. But one thing that really impressed me was how visually interesting the film is. Um, I wasn't, I it was the kind of film that I went in thinking, I wish this had been directed by someone like Michelle Gondry or so before it started. I was like, wouldn't this be really interesting if it was this real kind of visual artist like Michelle Gondry who did uh, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind? So, you know, someone who could really make this like fantastically interesting do you know what ben stiller did I, I really underestimated how much visual flair there would be in the film and it isn't just a series of cgi set pieces there are quite a few cgi set pieces but it's directed with an interesting eye and that that surprised me um which is probably bad because I, I i like ben stiller's films i i the, I think we've had this conversation before, haven't we? Um, mm. Cable Guy, uh, Zoolander, but his films previously were kind of like character-driven comedy films, uh, and this is very, this is a very, very different type of film. I wasn't sure if he could handle it, but I, I think he did. His performance was interesting in it. He was still pretty much Ben Stiller. In it. He's got that kind of face and that delivery, um, but it it suited the character. Um, what I will also say as well: great soundtrack and one bit. Um, where Kristen Wiig, who I like quite a lot, um, basically sang a David Bowie song. That was porn to me. Was like, <laughs> that, that was that was the hottest thing I've seen. But Kristen Wiig dressed up in winter gear with a guitar slung on, singing uh, Space Oddity. That was my porn for the year. I could watch that over and over again. Um, uh, but there's other great music in it as well. Uh, it is a little bit kind of popcorn psychology a little bit of um fortune cookie wisdom and things like that it's it's not as deep as maybe it wants to be it's not as deep as maybe i wanted it to be and it is it's a very polished film it's quite predictable you kind of know where it's going um and there aren't that many surprises in it even so uh, it put a smile on my face made me kind of well up a little bit towards the end and it was just a generally a nice film that came in at under two hours um didn't outstay its welcome didn't feel too baggy either um i i genuinely did enjoy it and it it's at the moment it's just snuck into my top 20 of the year so um i i I really enjoyed it. So I saw that. It's out on Boxing Day. It's still not out yet. I don't know how many people are going to be left that haven't seen it who want to go and see it like already at a preview because it's it's been a, it's been previewing in every cinema chain. I've missed four opportunities to preview it. I've managed to grab my fifth one. Really? Um, I mean, Cineworld previewed it twice. 
I mean, we had yeah. a preview is the secret screening. And then the week <laughs> after there was another preview. So exactly. Yeah. It was the Sky Movie screening tonight, although I got it through show film first. I didn't even get Sky Movies. It's it's being screened a lot, mm. uh, which I'm hope I'm assuming um, they're hoping will lead to good word of mouth. And uh, yeah, it, it's a good kind of it's a good family film. It's it's what we call in our house grand friendly. You know, <laughs> we, we could take grand to see this. She'll have a good time or oh, a lovely film. Um, so it's marketed yeah. a bit oddly though. I don't know if you've seen the advert and they compare it to Forrest Gump. Yeah, that's what weird. What's that about? It's nothing like Forrest Gump. You know, the film it actually reminded me most of, um, on a kind of very surface level, was uh, Stranger Than Fiction, um, with, with Will Ferrell, who was at one point rumored to be playing the main role. Because this film's been in development since the early nineties mm. as well. This is one of those that really could have been an absolute disaster by the time it made it to the screen simply because it had been rewritten and rebooted and you know started from scratch and everything like that and even until the last year or so Gore Verbinski was down to direct it and he jumped ship and went to uh the Lone Ranger so Ben Stiller stepped in and directed it as well um so it really could have been a bad film uh, and it's not it's a decent film Excellent. Um, so that one is, is that currently out in cinema? It's out on Boxing Day. Out on Boxing Day on General Lucas Cinema. Okay, that's all from what we've been watching. So we'll have another quick break and then it'll be our review of The Hobbit 2. Two in the title. <laughs> Back in The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, that was a good that one. A good <laughs> the Desolation of Smaug. So this week's big new release, the only new release we're reviewing this week, is the second film in the Hobbit series, uh, The Desolation of Smaug. Picking up where the first film left off, uh, the company of orcs and Bilbo have just been rescued by the eagles and flown to safety um, and view the lonely mountain in the distance and Smaug's waking up, even though in this film they find him and he's still asleep. Uh, don't ask. It's just not worth going into, really, is it? Um, <laughs> yes, and it stars Martin Freeman as Bilbo, uh, Ian McKellen as Gandalf, and some other people as the dwarfs. Um, what did we make of this second part in the trilogy? Well, should we just play a clip first, Steve? Go on, then. You have nothing to fear. Tell us what you know, and I will set you free. You had orders to kill them. Why? What is storing Oakenshield to you? The dwarf Rant never be king. King? There is no king under the mountain, nor will there ever be. None would dare enter Erebor whilst the dragon lives. You know nothing. Your world will burn. What are you talking about? Speak! Now time has come again. My master serves the one. Do you understand now, Elfling? Death is upon you. The flames of war are upon you. <laughs> there we go. That was a clip of The Hobbit Desolation of Smile. Yes, what do we think of the second part in this trilogy? Oh, first, uh, I just want to say, I was kind of dreading the first film. I mentioned this at the time when we reviewed it last year. I, I'm a fan of the original Lord of the Rings trilogy but I'd kind of already spent nine hours in Middle-earth and 
spending the same time again for a book about a fifth of its size felt like it was going to be bloated and horrible. And the first film pleasantly surprised me. It was it was nice to be back. So I went into this with raised expectations and my initial impression is it just about met them yeah i'm going to agree with that i think the the first film was for me was just enough to surprise at how much i enjoyed i think in the end i'll put it into my top 10 of last year i think you did yeah because yeah, i you know I've, I've seen the lord of the rings films i thought they were all right but you know i'm not a huge fan of them anyway but then the oh. Hobbit, I just thought had the more a, a, a sort of funnier or more entertaining aspect to it, something that's sort of a bit more charm. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah a bit cheeky and you know, and I thought that was a bit better than sort. Of, so yeah, I mean, the, the Desolation of Smaug, I was quite excited for it actually. I thought it would be quite good, and yeah, I'm I'm pleased it was. It was quite good. I, I like the first one, although you could. The first one felt longer, but I enjoyed it more. Um, but you definitely knew you'd been in the cinema for about three hours when you'd watched it. Cool, yeah. Um, <laughs> this one didn't feel as long, but I didn't enjoy it as much. It just didn't seem, I don't know, it didn't seem quite as, uh, even even though it was quite fast paced, I don't know. It, mm. Didn't, mm. it didn't really, you know, it, was all, it was all quite predictable. It was all quite, you know, by the book. It, well, it is by a book. <laughs> Quite <laughs> literally. Yeah. I've not read the book, but you could kind of see where it, it was going. Yeah. It seemed quite drawn out, and there's a lot of stuff they could have cut out. A lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be six films about walking. They could cut half of it out and put stuff in. But. Yeah, I mean, I think I touched on it earlier when I said that sometimes you get films that are the middle part of a trilogy mm. that just kind of, they, they feel like the middle part. They don't yeah. feel like they've got a a true beginning and I don't feel like they've got a proper no. end and that's I think that's my biggest issue with, I agree with you that's my biggest issue with this film is it feel it it feels like it is being bookended whereas think of the classic second part of trilogy let's say the empire strikes back which is probably like one of the textbook templates for uh you know the second stage of a trilogy that in itself is a complete story you can sit down and just watch The Empire Strikes Back. And you know it's part of a larger narrative arc. Mm. But at the same time, you've got you, within that, you've still got a proper middle, a beginning, and an end. And you know that it leads to another self-contained, but part of a larger arc, third film. A more what modern I've... idea would be like The Dark Knight. You know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, exactly a really right. good film in its own right. And you don't need to have seen Batman Begins and you don't have to no. see Dark Knight Rises. It's just exactly. a good it fits film. into a larger, larger universe. But at the same time, yeah, it, it's got its own beginning, middle and end. Mm. It's got its own three. A lot of this film feels like it is very heavily just second act. Mm. Um, uh, there's a lot of callbacks to the first film and towards the end of this you just and i'll be honest i was quite surprised at how abruptly this film ended and kind of oh, okay is that it oh whereas even thinking back to the two towers um and and, and in fact the those first original uh, lord of the rings films each of those had a had a particular beginning middle and end in each film as well whereas this really did feel like it was all second act it's it, uh, it strange in so much as the book, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was was one film per book. This is three yeah. films per one book, 
which is, I think, it wouldn't surprise me anyway, but it certainly looks, it just looking at my bookshelf, mm. even though I've not read The Hobbit yet, it looks, this one book looks smaller than the, each individual book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. Yet, no, I know they've taken the appendices from Return of the King to tell us, tell the story in these films of the build up to Lord of the Rings, but yeah, which is something else that I'll come on to later. But you know, it's, it's, it, it they're dragging it out. I think Del Toro, when he was going to do the film, going to do it originally only wanted to do it as two films. Yeah. Um, um, and Peter, well, so did Peter Jackson originally, then, but when, when it was announced that it was Peter Jackson, it was still only two films he, to begin with. And then he got and then, face everywhere, including right at the start of the film. And, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that yeah that is that is a problem for me. I mean, I um, think it is I, the pacing. Yeah, I'll come back to what I was going to say. I'll come back to later. Okay. Back to it now. I think that it would have worked better if they'd done The Hobbit as two films, just as The Hobbit. You know, nothing. You know, obviously Gandalf's going to keep disappearing to do what he's going to do in you know, the other bits, but yeah, but they'll just do right. We'll go up. We'll find. We'll get into the mountain. We'll we'll. Wake up, smile. Second film, the rest of it, the end of the film. Then we'll do another film, which is a prequel to Lord of the Rings, which is Sauron coming back, which is Gandalf finding out Sauron's coming back and trying to organise everybody and you know, find, you know all the bits like that. Oh, that's one way you could do it. But what I quite like actually in this film that they send Gandalf off on that plot mm. line. I think I think it adds a bit of variety to it. It, it does. So it isn't it, just a group of people walking to a mountain and having a fight. It does, but it, that that's kind of it's kind of those bits are kind of good because the rest of the film isn't as up to scratch as what it could be. Maybe. I also oh. think you've got quite a good set of characters with the dwarfs. You know, in Lord of the mm. Rings, you had you know there were a certain number of characters. But mm. this, they've they've got more to play with. I think with the Hobbit, yeah, they, 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 the they use them. They don't. I mean, other than well, I was just about to use the example of the. There's a scene in this which I think has been in the, the trailers and the adverts and stuff. Mm. I'm not going to go into why it's so good. Yeah. But it's the the sort of as they're in the barrels going down the river. Yeah. You know, and it's just yeah. a fantastic set piece for the film. That was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant action set piece. And what I was going to say is I think there is some things that this film does better than the, the previous film. And one of those is it does get on with it immediately. Mm. And it, ha- it, has a be- it has more momentum than the first film. Um, and the other thing is as well, with the whole Gandalf going off to do some other stuff... The first film relied a lot on, um, right, here goes here goes everyone, right, Gandalf wanders off for a bit, Hobbits get into trouble, Gandalf comes back and rescues them. That that happened three or four times in the first film. It was like, uh, every time Gandalf disappears, they get into trouble, and then he comes back in the nick of time and saves them. It's kind of annoying. Um, in this film, Bilbo is pushed more kind of front and centre, uh gandalf goes off to do his thing and it actually does because they i i kind of bonded to the dwarves a lot more in this one simply because i don't think you can bond with the dwarves because you only really there's only thorin um who's obviously the the, in charge of the king or king there to be or whatever you've got the kind of older one who's see i don't know any of their other names you know but the old the older one (laughs) Um, who, dopey yeah dopey, <laughs> easy battle, yeah. I, I, I genuinely don't I could, I could see them all written down in front of me I could probably name a couple but I wouldn't be able to tell you which one's which 
I might not be able to tell you their names, but I could I could describe then, at least then, five or six then, very yeah. different characters and there's, there. And there's the younger one who gets shot in the leg with an arrow. And, that's and, Killy. Yeah, Killy, that's yeah. Killy. Isn't Aiden it? Turner, who I think is really good yeah. actor, actually. Yeah. But, the, but you know, the rest of them don't really do anything. You've got James Nesbitt. Yeah, he wakes, uh, wakes up late. He's drunk. Yeah, <laughs> you've got... Ken Stott as the old one, who's brilliant, by the way. I love Ken Stott, full stop. And he's brilliant as the old one, almost recognisable, unrecognisable, that big bulbous nose. Um, well, I think you, in this one, you had more character to the dwarves than you had in the yeah. first film. And that first film spent about an hour just introducing them all. Yeah, I, I thought, yeah, I thought they got... Them washing up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And the songs. Actually, I kind of missed a song. I, I, yeah. I think this film could have done with one song. Um, the other thing that I did think was better than the first one is Thorin Oakenshield actually looked like a dwarf for a lot of this. Whereas in the first film, he just looked like a man leading a pack of dwarfs. <laughs> whatever you call a group <laughs> of dwarfs. Pack yeah. of dwarfs. A but murder in the of first dwarfs, one, it's like yeah. all these like dwarfs with the weird makeup. You, know, you, you could tell, right, okay, yeah, these are dwarfs. And then, oh, here comes strider light bloody you know aragorn's twin brother um he ne- he did not look like a dwarf in the first film at all he looked like a thin man he looked like a, and he looked like a man don't you know when like people kneel down and put their shoes on their knees yeah and that that yeah and in this he looked a bit fatter and he looked a bit stouter um and he he just he just looked more like a dwarf in this one and i don't know if they did something or changed something but he looked he looked more like a dwarf, or maybe it's because he spent more time with some elves and some other men and things like that, and it actually showed the difference. In that, but in that first film, he just didn't look like a dwarf to me, but he does in this one. Speaking of and the that way... was actually important for me. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, speaking of the way that the characters look in this, what about Legolas? Did anyone have any issues with the CGI parts of his his I've, scenes? It, well, I thought a lot, it of, the, a a lot of the computer film, a game. A lot of this, yeah, it looked like a computer game. Yeah. This yeah, is the was... first time the first time I've seen any film in this high frame rate. I didn't watch the the first film okay. in forty eight frames per second. It is noticeable in this mm. when you've mm. got CGI Orlando Bloom leaping through the sky and diving over yeah. barrels and logs and stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, it it was an impro- I saw it in the high frame rate last time, and it was an, either it was an improvement or I've got used to it. I mm. can't work out which one it is. First first time I watched it, it really shocked me. It really, it was very, for the first hour, I was really uneasy because I'm not used to seeing anything like that. Mm. Um, and for me, it's actually, it's a bigger visual leap for me than 3D most of the time because most people barely use 3D properly. And after about 20 minutes, I kind of forget that I'm watching a 3D film because nothing seems to come out at me anymore. Um, but this, in certain bit, it, it's still, an, I think it's still a new technology and people are still learning how to use it. But parts of it, I, I really, I actually was warming to the high high frame rate. Um, the the opening scene in the tavern where mm. uh, Thorin mm. and Gandalf meet, that that was one of those where I kind of literally felt like I was in there. It felt ridiculously realistic, and it wasn't, and there wasn't that much bad makeup and stuff. It didn't feel like in the first film when they're wandering around Bilbo's Hobbit hole. And because the high frame rate was so good, you could clearly see the the feet weren't proper, and you know, and it, that felt like a cheap TV movie set. Whereas, like the opening of this film felt felt you know kind of impressive, especially in the in the high frame rate. Um, it still at times looks like it's been 
shot on video which makes it look like a big budget bbc children's tv program uh, did you get that feeling from it owen because that's that's all the first film reminded me of when i watched it yeah it just looked like um lion the witch in the wardrobe or something. <laughs> well it's exactly what i said on the way at the cinema said so it just looks right. like a cbb's thing what's yeah you know it's a bit weird but i mean i it didn't distract me from anything i just no. happened to notice that some parts like um uh, well, well, when Evangeline Lilly's elf character is in the Toriel, yeah, yeah, it was, Toriel, it was invented for the film, wasn't in the book. Is that right? Oh, well, I quite yeah. liked her character. I thought it was. I, 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 and do you know what? Sometimes, and this happened in Lord of the Rings as well. Peter Jackson realised that there there aren't many great female characters, so mm. sod it. He's invented some because we're living ninety years in the future. Yeah. I, I've got no problem with that because no, I think that's an improvement. She was, yeah, she was good. But anyway, there was a scene with her in the little house in the little mm. fishing town, um, fighting a few people off, a few orcs and things like that. Yeah. that I thought it looked really good in the high frame, mm. mate. I thought it, you, you know you can see everything in clear detail. It does yeah. look a little odd when they're still leaping around rooms and stuff because you know it's yeah. a film, but it looks real. I think is yeah. the difference. Yeah, it, it, I, a lot, I think a lot of it's just down to perception. But exactly. Um, but otherwise, I thought, you know... Yeah, the, the, and the, the scenic scenes, mm. but, you know, where you get to see New Zealand in all its glory, they look amazing in high frame rate as well. Definitely. They look utterly incredible. Um, yeah, but it, it kind of reminds me of the time... You know, it's not as extreme, but you, know, you hear about the stories of the, the very first film of the train coming towards the screen <laughs> and people running out of the cinema in fear, thinking it's going to come through. It's not that extreme, but it is. A, it can it could be an incredible step forward in technology. I still think 3D is a bit of a gimmick and very few people know how to use it properly. If used properly, it's very impressive. Yeah, but... I mean, I think it's more similar to like the cinerama you know the effect mm. that that had as opposed yeah. to i mean before yeah. i used to think well 3d was similar now to how perhaps you know when they first had films with coloring and stuff yeah. you know technical but i think perhaps that's a bit dramatic and it's more akin to like you know cinerama yeah. where the screens are bigger or the bend in yeah. the screens and stuff you know but I, uh, high frame rate feels more like that leap in terms of definition yeah um we, you know, and that 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 diff. Although my wife still reckons she can't tell the difference between a DVD and a Blu-ray, no matter how many times <laughs> I try show her the difference, she goes, "No, they just look the same to me." But I, I think high frame rate could be. You know, it it does really feel like you you are in that room with them. And if someone does kind of kind of work with that technology, that could become quite quite an imp- very impressive uh, piece of technology. But like you say, it shouldn't detract from the film. And I noticed that. Um, all the press screenings for this film were in 2D and in normal frame rate because I think they, the producers were a little bit annoyed that last year so much press was about the technology behind it rather than the film. They wanted people to judge the film this time, which I think think is fair. Um, yeah, performances again. Uh, I, I I really liked Martin Freeman. I, th- I think Martin Freeman is a perfect Bill Baggins. Um, he got a little bit darker in this one. Uh, a few of the characters did as well, and it, it, there was a little bit more depth, a little bit more darkness to it. it Ian McKellen as Gandalf is just always eminently watchable. Um, but like you say, uh, Evangeline Lilly's character, I thought she was really good in this. Uh, not only was the character, I thought she she was good. Mm-hmm. And well, I, thought, um, I thought she was good, but it just meant she'd come hand in hand with Orlando Bloom. I didn't mind. I, I didn't mind just, Legolas in this. He's just. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind him so much in the original trilogy, but he's just so bloody 
turns up in a turns up in a forest is the most wooden thing in it. <laughs> it's just awful. It's just, I, I got, didn't got, think he was that he's bad. He's got no presence and no charisma. He's just boring. He's got. I don't know why I sort of there's nothing about him. It just yeah, you know, considering he's actually meant to be in the film, why why put him in there? Does does he not think um, about Peter Jackson? <laughs> Uh, the thing is, and in the books originally, Legolas's dad was the king of, uh, is it Mirkwood? Is that the name of it? That kind of fire. So he has a legitimate reason to be <laughs> to be in the film. Steve. Well, yeah, I, I get that, but it's just kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, Stephen uh, Fry, what did we think of Stephen Fry then? He turns up as the master. Um, oh, I wasn't happy with the fact they made the joke out of him having gout. Uh, <laughs> just I'm nerve, disgusted yeah. by that. Yeah, um, yeah. For for new listeners, uh, I've actually missed podcasts with Gabe before because it's fucking painful. But anyway, um, he, oh, he was just being Stephen Fry, wasn't? I, yeah. I, I'll be honest. I like Stephen Fry. You know, national treasure status and all that kind of thing. I, I I'm a big fan of a lot of what Stephen Fry does. I actually think someone with a bit more menace would have been far better in that role. It was so playing it like a Blackadder character, wasn't he? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was Melchett. It, yeah. <laughs> it was he was he was Lord Melchett, which was a shame because his underling was actually good. I can't. It, it, he's played by someone quite impressive. His underling was essentially meant to be what um, same kind, similar kind of character as what the underling to the King of Rohan was in the in the Wormtongue. That's the one. Yeah. Kind of. A, yeah. Kind of a creepy, manipulative. Yeah. in command with his own agenda but when when the person in charge of him's got his own capacities about him he's not really worth anything hmm. yes and yeah yeah no i did think yeah it was like oh there's stephen fry it, it, i'll be honest it took me out of the film just a little bit as well simply because it, it he's so recognizably <laughs> stephen fry and so kind of all oh, right there's stephen fry not oh look there's the master of lake town um which was a bit of a shame, um, I, but someone who was unrecognisable, quite literally, um, Benedict Cumberbatch as uh, Smaug, who I thought voiced it really, you know, we talked a lot about the Gollum scene in Unexpected, well, Gollum scenes in Unexpected mm. Journey, how brilliant Andy Serkis is. Um, what I would say is I thought Cumberbatch did a very good job being the kind of, the main antagonist of this film, um he got the voice right i thought um and the animation of the dragon was pretty impressive it was amazing as well. wasn't it yeah the, i mean uh, i said earlier about the host with the movement of the monster in yeah. that but it's just incomparable to something like you know yeah. this that i thought that every scene with smaug in it yeah was just and those mines as well actually that that was some wonderful oh, was production yeah. design mm. yeah and, and that that's where the film really came to life and you know what it got me it actually did get me quite excited about the next one as well because you kind of you're starting to get an idea of what's coming you know that uh yeah you've got the the build-up to the events leading to uh lord of the rings you've you know anyone who knows about and it's not giving anything away you've got the battle of the five armies to come um I, I think what this film did well is it really set up the next film, but it, it's just a shame that on its own terms, it's just an enjoyable film and not much more. Well, I, I mean, you say that it's probably in my top 20 now. I mean, I okay. really, really enjoyed it again. I thought it was good fun. Um, exactly the sort of film that 
I wanted it to be, I guess, a you know proper yeah. adventure film. And uh, yeah, it is a shame that it just ends the way it does. But I was really impressed with lots of different aspects of it. We talked about the sort of how brilliant it looks. Part of that, I think, is to do with the way Peter Jackson's directed it. The action scenes in it were just just brilliant really you they know are. an act a director who's got everything spot on particularly he understands action yeah. exactly i mean that barrel scene there's you get films where you get just the rare moments perhaps in the odd film where there's a ton of things happening on screen but you can only perhaps clearly see or clearly follow exactly what's going on just you know one time in ten that it happens in film. yeah but in this, there's at least two scenes. That barrel scene, I'm thinking as well, the the stuff in the mine. Yeah. Maybe even three if you count the stuff that happens in the house with the orcs. In Lake Town, yeah. Where you get everything, just the, the cameras are just perfect. You, you've got a picture yeah. of everything. You can see precisely what's going on. And the sort of flow of the action, it just fits together perfectly. Yeah. It just yeah. you know, it, it, it just flows really well. Um so I, I completely really agree. You know what? You know exactly what's going on. There's a number of directors in recent years have done that badly. Most, uh, most famously, Michael yeah. Bay. Yeah, his Transformers films. You haven't got a bloody no. clue what's going on in those actions. But no, you're exactly. Right. I knew everything that was going on. And I, I don't know if Peter Jackson has seen The Raid. Um, <laughs> I know it's an odd one, but that scene in the house in Lake Town um, actually reminded me of a number of scenes in The Raid. Not in terms of guns and things like that, but in terms of a close encounters fight scene where you can still see absolutely yeah. everything that's going on. Um, uh, and that, that was, re- and then, but then you move to this massive scene under the mines with the CGI dragon and things like that. And yeah, whatever you think about Peter Jackson, the man knows how to direct a big set piece action, uh, action film. And look at, for me, the best bits of the film were when those bits worked really, really nicely. Um, and I think maybe I'll judge this film a little bit more leniently when I get to see it up kind of leading directly into um, there and back again, because I think that's I think that's how the film naturally fits for me. And I, I can't just I can't quite love it yet because it just feels unfinished simply because of the way it ends. Yeah, I mean, um, as we've just gone over, really, it just it does just finish and feels like oh, so there's supposed to be more and it's supposed yeah. to carry on and the sort of it's one of those where the screen fades to black and then you go oh, it's a, it's a very it's obvious a, there's definitely a next there's, yeah you know, it's definitely yeah. a cliffhanger exactly but you know again going back to those Lord of the Rings I, I still th- remember the end of the Fellowship of the Ring uh, which is and actually to be fair the end of an unexpected journey as well you build up to a big um, kind of uh, act three set piece finale hmm. Can do it and then go right okay what's next but they're not they're not as ob- yeah but it's not as kind of fade to black is it it's you know at the end of um uh, fellowship of the ring it's yeah. kind of just like right everyone's been split yeah. up and that's the next bit the end of the un- an unexpected journey it's all right we're all here at this yeah point that's, that's exactly yeah. what i'm saying that, those films one, ended it's, right the, the desolation of smog it kind of smog it's like oh Bloody hell, dragons out. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it, that's it. It actually finishes in the middle of an action sequence, pretty much. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what yeah. hurt me the most, was the fact that I was like, 
what there is it's, it's where you might put an advert in a in a yeah. <laughs> if it was on tv it's where you might put an advert or where you might put uh, to be continued kind of next week and it's like what well, i've got to wait a year for that now yeah that's what annoyed they me ne- they, do you know what annoyed or, me they never read, expl- yeah. sorry steve carry on i say or, or read the book which is what i've done with the the, the lord of the rings films i couldn't be wait um <laughs> Three years, two more years yeah. to find out the conclusion of a trilogy. So I actually oh, books. Encourage you to read a book, then that's good. Well, you did the same with uh, Hunger Games. Encourage- I did the I did that with Hunger Is Games. You? I watched yeah. the first Hunger Games film, and then I watched the next, and then I read the next two books. Not quite on a level with uh, Tolkien, no. but uh, <laughs> what what really annoyed you then, Owen? Yeah, just the way that they didn't explain how they got off the rock at the end of the first film when the. Yeah. I thought, okay, so there's just maybe a little awareness. <laughs> yeah, one of the eagles came back <laughs> yeah. and just like helped them down. Or a rope. Yeah, at le- and at least there was no bits where I went, well, why don't they? Yeah, was, no. yeah, the end of that film still really annoys me in that sense. And I, I, I think this was just, I think this was better plotted in that sense. It didn't feel as kind of episodic as the first one. Oh, look, here they are up against a bad person. Gandalf comes back to save them. They move on for a bit. Oh, another bad person, Gandalf comes. There was less of that in this. There was a lot more going on. And at times, like I say, I think if this had been an HBO miniseries with nine or ten one-hour episodes, people would be fawning all yeah, over it. Um, but because it's because you've got to go to a cinema and sit down for three hours and not go to the toilet and stuff like that, people do... Uh, people will moan about the length um and like i say and it does make it does feel unfinished because i can't watch the next three hours in the next three weeks that's what annoys me about it um but apart from that no it's a decent film and if you like the first one you'll 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 like this one um if you like peter jackson the middle earth you'll really like this one and even if you didn't this might kind of win you around because it it, it's a good action Mm -hmm. film Talking about, and the last blockbuster of the year, and I'm glad it ended on a positive as well. Yeah, they've they've sort of got a trick with that, and they don't they? If they're the last one of the year, they're the last one yeah. people are going to be thinking about. Perhaps that's why it ended yeah. up in my top ten. <laughs> but uh, yes, possibly. <laughs> just talking about. The, I'm sure they were thinking of that exactly. Yeah, talking about the length of the film, just a slight tangent. There was a woman who went, uh, I saw this in Birmingham. I went to see my parents at the weekend, and. Um, while we while I was there, I thought oh, I'll take advantage of this. We're going to see it in the high frame rate. There was a person who just one woman on her own who took two very small kids in. They must have been about I don't know five and three something like that to see The Hobbit at eight o'clock in the evening. Bear in mind the film doesn't really start until about half past twenty two anyway. No, so you're looking half eleven by the time the credits roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I just thought. And they've got to wear those stupid glasses. They've got to wear the hours. glasses. They did cry a lot during the film, and she had to take oh, them down God. to the front quite often. I thought, what are you? Why would you do that to your kids? You know, I know. Okay, <laughs> you might really want to see the film, and because it's quite late, they might go to sleep. But never mind the people who were there to see it without having a baby crying every thirty minutes. Yeah. Why would someone do that to their own children? God, am I? It's just. Poor etiquette. Scum. Yeah. Subhuman scum. That, that's, that's it. Take the kids off them. That's it. <laughs> but anyway, I was just having a moan. <laughs> I think that brings uh, to uh, end our review then of uh, the second part in the Hobbit series. Join us this time next year for our <laughs> third part in the trilogy. 
Um, but we will be back in the meantime as well. Um, I have one more short break, and we'll be back with some recommendations. So our recommendations then for the uh, upcoming week, um, which will probably take us over into the Christmas period as well, actually. Um, I'm going to go for Christmas Eve. If you're not, if you're stuck at home on Christmas Eve, um, trying to put up with family and wrap last minute presents and uh, make sure you've got all the veg prepared to put in the oven for the next day, there's plenty of films on Christmas Eve. Uh, film four, quarter past three, Escape the Victory, BBC. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> it's a weekly recommendation, that. <laughs> it will be on somewhere. Just watch it every week. Um, yeah. BBC One, twenty to three, uh, twenty to four. Sorry, Toy Story Two. Uh, also, Finding Nemo on BBC One, five to five to six. So you can have a bit of a Pixar back to back there. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is on BBC Three at eight o'clock. Ghostbusters oh, is on God. five star at nine o'clock. Pool, which is quite underrated by many, with Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and uh, Seth Rogen. Nine o'clock on Film Four. Die Hard Two is on E4 at nine o'clock. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles on Film Four at eleven o'clock. Oh, great Christmas. So film. much for you to watch on Christmas Eve. It's almost worth not going to the pub, but I will be. <laughs> Uh, James, what are you recommending? Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to bother touching TV, Steve, because you got it so adequately covered there. I'm just going to say, out on DVD on Monday and buy it for yourself or buy it as a present for someone who just likes good films and comedy. Uh, one of my favourite films of the year, it's in my top ten, um, and quite an underrated, well, flew under the radar, I think. It didn't come with a huge amount of fanfare. The Way, Way Back, uh, which is um, a great little comedy starring Sam Rockwell, Alison Janney, Steve Carell, about uh, a teenage boy's coming of age over the summer at a water park. And it's funny and heartwarming and just a, just a really, really great film. So that's out on DVD on Monday. Yeah, Sam Rockwell's brilliant in that, isn't he? He's incredible in it, yeah. He's he's just he's just one of those really funny, charming people, anyway. And then when he's when he's given a script like that as well, it's brilliant. Uh, and Owen, finally yourself. Yeah, I'm not going to pick anything from TV either because you've covered it all. But I have got a um a best film on TV article on the failcritics.com website for for this week anyway that leads us up to Sunday. So just before Steve's full day of christmas yeah. marathon yeah <laughs> films so i'm going to pick instead a, play, a film that's been added to love film instant um just recently and one of my favorite films of the year the place beyond the pines starring bradley cooper ryan gosling it's just pff, i i ended up having to take a day's leave to go and see this at the cinema because it was only showing in midday at my cinema world so i ended up just booking days leave and it was totally worth it it was just I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's, that is praise indeed. Yeah. Competing currently with Django, Side Effects and Alpha Papa, for, which is going to be my favourite film of the year. It's going to be one of those. At the minute, I am leaning more towards Place Beyond the Points. Hmm. Well, I suppose. Which leads us nicely on to, Steve. 
Yes, um, the, the the bit where we remind you that we are taking <laughs> for our end of year uh, awards uh, on over at the website www.failcritics.com. You'll be able to find um, a section where you can vote for your your um, favourites in how many categories are there? Uh, there are um, seven, I think, six or seven categories. We've got film of the year, uh, favourite male acting performance, favourite female acting performance, best documentary, best soundtrack, and favourite uh, film not in the English language. Um, and, and so I think here we're going to pitch, aren't we? For, for yeah, we're going to pitch. It's a last, a last minute desperate plea for votes for our favourite films. Uh, we're all going to give a quick pitch for 30 seconds on why you should watch and vote for a film that we want you to vote for. Desperate (laughs) political nonsense. Party political broadcast. Yes. Uh, Why don't you kick us off then, James, seeing as it's a bright idea. Okay. Uh, Okay, very, very quickly, the film I want you to vote for is Cloud Atlas, a film that was criminally overlooked by all the various awards people earlier this year out in february didn't really get much of a marketing push it is an incredibly oh just an incredible technical achievement by the wachowski siblings and tom twyker um a load of actors putting incredible performances in it brilliant brilliant soundtrack um don't be put off by its two hour 40 running time because it has the momentum of a runaway juggernaut um absolutely Great sci-fi, brilliant period drama, and you get to hear Tom Hanks doing a dreadful Irish accent and talking some kind of futuristic patois. Um, That's the true, true. Vote for it. (laughs) True, true. Owen? Okay, well, unsurprisingly, I'm going to pick The Place Beyond the Pines. Um, I don't think it's been nominated for many uh, awards just yet, which is a, a real shame. I think it's... I mean, Derek Cianfrance, the guy who's directed it, also did Blue Valentine. And Blue Valentine seemed to have been met with a lot more critical praise um, than The Place Beyond the Points. But of the two, this is my favourite. I think it's just, it's a story about people, about life, endurance, compassion, love, as well as stuff like violence, deceit, theft, hate. It's all just rolled into one brilliant film. Uh, It makes me just, I mean, it's just a remarkable achievement and it's, it's set in three parts you've got three different stories and they all link together very neatly very nicely um it, yeah just cloud atlas has got six stories, six stories. makes it twice as good, twice as good. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. well not I mean, but yeah but it's sorry um <laughs> i've lost track now what was it yeah anyway it's a great film watch it place beyond the points and you've got no excuse if it's on a film and you've got an account you can watch it just on your laptop in bed, maybe, or on the TV, it, or rent it. Yeah, watch it. And if you don't want to vote for either of those two, why don't you vote for the film that I'm recommending, which is Rush, the um, the story of the 1976 Formula One season and the battle between James Hunt and Nicky Lauda, played excellently by Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Brühl. Um, it is excellent. It depicts, you know, as portrays a drama felt in sports um, and the events that happen within that season uh, and, and the battle between the two excellently. Uh, only one story in this one, not six, not three, just one. <laughs> it's probably better than the um, other stories 
combined in those films. So <laughs> this one story is better than those nine. So I'd vote for Rush as your favourite film of the year. What's good is all three of them are are excellent films who are likely to get overlooked by the big awards though, mm. and that's it's a shame. But it, it's it's for me, I, you know, I'm I'm compiling my list at the moment, and I think this has been a great year for cinema. Um, some of the the bigger films have let me down, but beneath that, so many, so many, I'm finding it far more difficult to put together my list this year than I did last year. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's much tougher. We've also had some pretty shit films this year, though. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe I've just seen more films, but uh, yeah, I, I'm finding there's there's more in that kind of four star area mm. than so I've seen a load more in that four star area than I did last year. Uh, that brings to an end the podcast for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening, new listeners and old listeners. Um, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, we'd like you to recommend us to as many people as possible and, um, you know, just keep listening as well. And we thank you very much for doing so. Uh, you can, we really want your feedback and your comments as well. And you want. Failedcritics.com. We're on Twitter at failed critics and we've got an email address now. Should you wish to send us an email about anything, podcast at failedcritics.com. Um, James, would you like to add anything else in this bit? Uh, no, except the the sound just went blank because we're massively shambolic here, just operating on Skype. Um, did you mention Facebook? I did not mention Facebook. but we're Facebook. There we go then. Uh, so you can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics as well. And yeah, no, gen- genuinely, you won't believe how ridiculously happy it's made us just finding out this this spike in listener numbers and it's kind of it's reinvigorated us slightly because i thought it was maybe a few of our friends and someone's nan downloading <laughs> us and it turns out there are there are literally tens and nearly hundreds of you well there's over a hundred of you which is good uh, in, in fact there are hundreds 200 is hundreds isn't it plural of hundreds um, get away with that, there are yeah. hundreds <laughs> of you out there yeah uh, and that's that's just that made me feel really nice it's been a nice little early christmas present so thank you for listening and please please continue to download our podcast if we're not completely terrible people uh, excellent and our chris well our end of year special uh, when yes plan okay end of year special uh, it's going to be out between christmas and new year so you've got a little bit of time still left to uh, to vote in the F- fl critics awards but that's this is our last kind of regular podcast of the year end of year special out between christmas and new year we're trying to get jerry back we might have some other special guests and by special guests i mean people who've spoken to us on the podcast before no one famous um and what we'll be doing is we'll be going through we'll we'll talk about our own personal favorite films of the year um our surprises our biggest disappointments of the year as well and what we're looking forward to in 2014 and then it's the big award ceremony where we'll all get drunk and slag off famous people and each other as we reveal our top 10 films of the year and our favourite actors, actresses, etc. With the amount of live that will come out in that one. that <laughs> Yeah, that might be heavily redacted. Yeah, now we've got listeners, I've actually got to pay attention. It'll be to our it. shortest podcast ever, that one. Right? <laughs> <Shortest> <laughs> at one hour and 15 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's all for this week. Uh, join us 
in somewhere between now and Christmas for the uh, well now and the New Year, sorry, for the end of year special. The failed critics are Steve Norman, James Diamond and Owen Hughes with original music by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, Twitter at at failedcritics, and you can also find the podcast on iTunes. You can email us at podcast at failedcritics.com. Thanks for listening.